0: Thank you for joining me in this episode of the gospel truth I'm your host Marla Wilson and we have another fantastic show for you today the final debate the final show of 2023 can you believe it The Gospel Treatment has got through another year by God's grace of bringing some of the best debates on YouTube, best theological debates on YouTube, best discussion, best interviews on YouTube. And it's all for the glory of God, for the proclamation of the Gospel. So I thank you once again for joining us for another fantastic year. And we are going to have fun with this debate. I have Kelly Powers and I have Robert Bolog with me. And we are going to have a fun discussion concerning the unity of God. Does the Bible teach that God is one and unity? That's what the topic is going to be today. But before I bring the fellas in, make sure you know to subscribe to The Gospel Truth and hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on any debate shows, interviews, commentaries, or anything coming up here in the future. Uh, If you didn't know, we have a lot of content on different platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or also other social media platforms that have Gospel Truth, The Gospel Truth content. So if you have yet to do so, make sure you flow over there and hit that subscribe and follow on those platforms. Also, The Gospel Truth has a podcast. if you didn't know itunes google play and spotify so make sure you fall over there to hit that follow subscribe on those podcasts for your audio listening pleasure all right and as always i have a whole bunch of shows coming up here in the future that i want you guys to be aware of all right so coming up starting new year off with a bang got a big debate coming up january 5th i have anthony rogers and sean griffin does the father have a body the father has a body that's going to be the topic matter of this debate so if you want to start the new year off great come on to the gospel truth and look at this debate watch this debate live because it's going to be a doozy make sure you flow in and hit and get on with this debate. After that, I have uh, vocab Malone and Judah, who is going to be jumping on. Is Jesus in Isaiah 53? So this is going to be. It does Jesus? Does Isaiah 53 pertain to Jesus? That's going to be the subject matter of this debate. So hopefully, you guys are looking forward to that one. After that, I have an open panel discussion concerning Arminianism. I have Dan Chapa, and I have uh, Luca that's going to be joining us, and we are going to have a fun, open panel discussion. So if you have an issue with Arminianism, or if you want to throw some contention at Arminianism, these are the two guys that are going to be up to hear all the critiques and the arguments against Arminianism. So if you're open for it, come join us on this panel discussion. should be a fun one. And then after that, I have O.S. Lutas and I have Avery Austin, also known as God Logic is going to be jumping on, Is Jesus the Father? This is going to be a fun debate, exciting debate, so hopefully you're looking forward to, of these guys have been on before and they performed very well, so I'm looking forward to have these guys back on. And as you guys know, we are raising money for the media equipment. We are still trying to raise funds for media equipment. The idea is to make sure we have equipment of our own, so when we go on a venue, go to a different venue to do maybe a debate, a live debate in a venue, we don't have to rely on their equipment. We have our own equipment to supply our needs to make sure we have the best video and audio quality possible. So we're asking, as uh, the Gospel Truth is asking for your assistance in those efforts. And, and if you guys are not aware, the super chats are back on the Gospel Truth. Uh, if you guys are not aware, the Gospel Truth is monetized We are able to regain monetization, so that is definitely a blessing uh, to be able to do that because we do have to support the ministry. So uh, thank you guys for any contributions you guys make towards supporting the ministry and all all goes to the fulfillment of God's glory, uh, or a uh, ghost to God's glory, uh, as we use those funds. All right. But all that said, thank you once again for joining us and we're going to have a fun debate. Once again, the topic of this debate is, is, is the God of the Bible one in unity. And so I'm going to bring in Kelly powers and Robert for, so they can introduce themselves. So we get this debate going. What's up fellas. How y'all doing? Good. Hey guys. Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you guys, man. Excited for this one. And. I could tell the excitement on both, of you, uh, both of you guys' both uh, you uh, guys' side, man. Kelly, you were so anticipating this debate. Uh, I would get messages from you, just looking forward to this debate. <laughs> one thing you guys need to know out there, Kelly would Kelly would talk and Kelly would say, "Man, that's such a long ways away. Such a long ways away." See, Kelly, I told you it wasn't gonna be that long, man. I know it seems like months away, but it comes so fast, man. Before you know it, well, I now you're we're, in here.
1: We're ending ending 2023 with a bang, so hopefully it's a
0: we are we are man we are man robert uh glad to have you for the first time uh introducing you to the audience of the gospel truth so but we're going to allow you guys to introduce yourselves uh we're going to give you guys a chance to sort of tell uh tell you tell everyone about yourself ministry what you guys got going on what you guys want to check you out so start with kelly uh you want to go ahead and give a quick introduction yourself man
1: sure um it's Kelly powers got uh, a channel called the berean perspective apologetics it's been only going for just over five something years it's growing have uh, weekly live streams normally on monday nights tuesday nights and friday nights and have had many open mic discussions over there i've been a born again christian since the age of six i'm now 52. i've uh, been involved in ministry in uh, Apologetics, it's around roughly 1991, getting introduced to different things and discipled and mentored and over the years served in different churches, whether it be children's ministry, youth, young adults, outreach, homeless ministry, evangelism. I've been involved as uh, a lay pastor, elder, assistant pastor, um, lots of different things. Just don't put me, as always, I keep saying the same broken joke uh, on the worship team because you will fire me. I have a heart for discipleship. Uh, and apologetics. I've been married for over, where are we at now, Uh, 23 plus years. Uh, I'm going on 23 plus, over 23 plus years with my wonderful wife. And it's great to be here, Marlon. It's been quite a bit of time since I've done a debate on your channel. So I am excited to be back and Lord willing, hopefully do a very good discussion this evening and more to come down the road. So thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you once again for bring, coming on the Gospel Truth, Kelly. I appreciate you, brother. All right, Robert, you're up. Uh, you go ahead and give a quick introduction to yourself. Let me know what you do, buddy.
2: Hi, my name is Robert Bullog. Um, I've been teaching the Bible for about three years now. I came back to God after about a 14-year layoff, I'm doing my own thing. But um, I've been studying the Bible. And uh, not only that, but um, I've been really involved in uh, Christian apologetics, presuppositional apologetics against atheism and so on. So I have a page, it's called Atheism Defeated, and, um, you know, I post stuff there. And so uh, my my uh, introduction to uh, Kelly Power, Power is really good because I got to study the Bible more and get back into reading the Bible on certain topics that I've believed for years. So I want to put it to the challenge today.
0: All right, all right. You're definitely going to be able to do that, Robert. You're definitely going to be able to put it to the challenge. But you have a worthy opponent in Kelly Powers, man. So it's going to be a tough t- cookie to take Taco Kelly, man. So we're going to jump into this real quick. I think... Are you there, Kelly? Oh, Kelly, you there? Okay, I thought I lost you for a minute there, Kelly. All right, we're gonna jump into this though. So the topic of this debate is, is the God of the Bible, one and unity. Kelly is arguing the affirmative. Robert, you are arguing negative. And we're gonna start it off with 15 minute opening statements. We're gonna follow that with seven minute rebuttals. and Then we're gonna have a 40 minute cross-sex where both of you will get 20 minutes each to lead with questions. And then we're gonna have a five minute closing. And then we're gonna have a 20 minute Q and A from the audience. Sounds good?
1: Sure. Just make. It, I just uh, adjusted my mic. Is it still coming in good?
0: Yep. Your mic is great.
1: Okay. I had an issue a, bit a second ago, so now it's better. Good. Good to hear.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So Kelly, you are gonna be the uh, firmer, so you're gonna be presenting first. Yes. Um, and if you wanna get your PowerPoint going. Get- Thank you, Marlon. Thank you, Robert, for this debate. Thank you for all who
1: are here listening. My hope and prayers that you get blessed by this and challenged by it at the same time. Is God one in unity? What does the Bible teach? I believe that the Bible teaches that there is one God revealed through three persons. I believe the Bible teaches God is one. What does that mean? God is one? What does that mean? How is that word used? Why is that important in this debate? The church is one. The Bible teaches that there is one church, one body of Christ yet many members. What does that mean? And how is that word used? Why is that important to this debate? I believe the Trinity is one. The Bible teaches that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, yet distinct persons. What does that mean, and how can God be one in three distinct persons? We'll share a few different things in part one: the Jewish perspective, Jewish-Christian perspective. What do words mean? How words are understood in context, and God revealed as a unity. For example. And the article is the Trinity in the Hebrew Scripture, according to an article from Jews for Jesus, who are Messianic Christian Jews. They talk about Genesis 1-5, about being evening and morning, comprising one Echad, one day. Genesis 2-24, a man and woman come together in marriage, the two shall become one, Echad, flesh. Ezra 2 talks about the whole assembly coming together. They were one together, Echad. Ezekiel thirty seven seventeen talks about two different sticks representing two different nations. They become one. What we see here is the word akkad is used as a compound unity and not as a singularity. What a note also from here for Jews, Jews for Jesus, state about the word "yakid," which is another Hebrew word for one, an absolute one. And there are what's known as the 13 articles of faith. The Jews, uh, Jewish people have in their 13 articles akkad and not "yakid." Here's what I want to demonstrate in this debate, that the word Akkad can be understood and God can be understood as one. In unity. From Jaden A. Swanson, Dictionary of Biblical Languages, Semantic Domains, Hebrew Old Testament states in regards to the word Akkad under number four. One, that which is united as one in contrast to separate parts. And notice the reference here, Genesis 2:24 and Deuteronomy 6:4. From what's known as the B Dag, Bauer, Arndt and Danker, in reference to the word "heis." Notice the Old Testament, when it was being translated from the Hebrew Scripture to the Greek, it was the Greek Septuagint. Heis was the word that replaced Echad. Here, um, B. notes, with focus on a quantitative aspect, one, in contrast to parts of which a whole is made up. Notice it goes on to say Matthew 19:5, highlighted Mark 10:8; 1 Corinthians um, 12, 12, 20, also has a note of Genesis 2:24, all showing how the word heis, with also a cod can be used as unity. For example, it also talks about Ephesians 2, two groups, two united groups being together, both the Jews and the Gentiles. So here we see Genesis 2 24, they shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, 6, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Mark 10 8, the two shall become one flesh. So we see how the word cod or heist can be used as unity. More examples in the New Testament, Galatians 3:28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor freeman. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one, heis, in Christ. Ephesians 2.14 talks about that both groups into one, broke down the barrier. Again, Jews and Gentiles. Romans 12.5, the word heis, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individual members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12.12, for even as the body is one, yet many members, all members of the body, though we are many, are one body. First Corinthians twelve twenty. But now there are many members but one body. So it's showing how this word can be used. Now in the old testament, what we see is a plethora of scriptures that I'm going to demonstrate, not all of them, but some of them are sure. Genesis one twenty six says, God said, Let us make man in our image. So we went from a singular to a plural. Genesis three twenty two. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Three different examples written by Moses how it went from singular to plural in reference to God being demonstrated we all see in Genesis 19 24 and 25 then the Lord rain on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven notice we see two one in heaven one on earth Two being demonstrated here to back that up to confirm it even more with biblical evidence Isaiah 13 verse 17 through 19 Jeremiah 50 verse 40 Amos chapter 4 verse 10 through 11 we see three different scriptural examples to back this up that there were two who were involved in Genesis 19 24 as the Lord as God giving confirmation not only that we see other scriptures for example Hosea chapter 1 verse 6 through 7 talking about here the Lord is speaking the Lord said to him and it goes on to say in verse 7 but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God so, the one who is speaking is the Lord, and then it says, and by the Lord their God, showing again distinction, something of unity. Isaiah 6 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah 48 12 through 16, another example. The one who is speaking, make no mistake about it, is the Lord, is Yahweh here. Notice how it says here, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I've called. I am he. I am the first, I'm also the last. It's the same speaker all the way through. When we get to verse 16 come near to me listen to this from the first I've not spoken in secret from the time it took place I was there some people try to say this is Isaiah not a chance and now the speaker who is the Lord first and last says and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit part 2 New Testament I believe by looking at who Jesus is his pre-existence and the deity of Christ will point to the Trinity because there's no question about who the Father is we're gonna look at the Holy Spirit as a distinct person from the Father and the Son we're gonna look at Trinity involved in creation and why this is important in the New Testament specifically in John's writings his gospel and his epistles we see in John's writings over 40 times we read that Jesus the Son Jesus is sent from the Father into this world Eight times we read that Jesus is going back to be with the Father where He was before. Jesus is God, John chapter one. many examples of Jesus being called God. John chapter one verses one through three. Jesus is equal with the Father we see in John chapter five, verse 18 through 23, and John 10:30, showing equality. We see that Jesus came to reveal who the Father is, John 1:18, John 14 verses 1 through 12, showing distinction to persons, and he also came to reveal the Father jesus is the image of the invisible god god come in the flesh colossians 115 colossians 2 9 and hebrews 1 3 different examples we see something amazing in john chapter 8 pointing to his pre-existence as the eternal i am the one who spoke with moses in exodus and abraham saw in genesis in john chapter 8 verses 53 through 59 we see jesus claiming to be the yahweh that abraham saw and spoke with moses in the old testament another great example is in hebrews chapter 1 verses 5 through 12 we see something very good that the father speaks in reference to the son in verse 10 through 12 the father calls the son meaning jesus he calls the son yahweh the lord it's a direct reference back to psalm 102 verses 24 through 23 sorry 27 and it says there that the lord who created all things also in reference to jesus we see jesus claiming to have pre-existence in john chapter 6 verse 38 for says, "For i have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me notice he was sent by someone else other than himself he came not to do his own will and he came down from heaven john 6 62 what then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before where was jesus before he was with the father in the heavenly realm which we also see A picture of in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. And John chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had with you, meaning the Father, before the world was. The Holy Spirit. Something that we don't talk about much, but is so important. In John 14, verse 16 through 17, and John 14, 28, and in John 15, 26, and in John 16, verses 5 through 15, we see more taught from Jesus about who the Holy Spirit is in these verses. In these scriptures, in John's gospel, we see that the Holy Spirit is identified 29 unique, distinct times by Jesus as He, Him, and Himself. From the Father and the Son, distinct from the Father and the Son. In these scriptures in John's Gospel, we see that Christ, Jesus Christ, identified 23 times unique as me, my, I, you, and mine, distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit. In these scriptures in John's Gospel, we also see in these scriptures, the Father identified eight unique times as the Father, He, and Him. What Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 is extremely important. In fact, I believe this is a game changer. When it comes to seeing who the holy spirit is according to what jesus taught and then namely also what the apostles taught and what is written in the new testament scriptures for example many of you will know thayer's greek lexicon in regards to the word alos alos as compared to the word heteros denotes a numerical and distinction from a qualitatively difference in other words it's one numerically one who is besides the other not the same person but one who's besides Spirosodiades in and lexical aids the New Testament states, another numerically, but of the same kind. Contrast heteros, another qualitatively, another another race, and one of another nation. Vines, many of you also know. Alos expresses a numerical difference and denotes another of the same sort. Heteros expresses a qualitatively difference and denotes another of a different sort. Christ promised to send another comforter, Alos, like himself, not heteros. Also, with Herman Kremer from Biblical Theological Lexicon of New Testament Greek states, in reference to Alos. the other denotes numerical difference, while heteros denotes other qualitatively, difference of kind. Gives an example of Galatians 1, 6, and 7, which talks about another gospel, which, however, is not another gospel. There's a difference. There's something different. According to Bauer, Arndt, and Danker from the BDAG, Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament states, to that which other than some other entity distinguished from the subject who is speaking and who is logically understood. In other words, what Jesus is te- speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not the Father, and the Holy Spirit's not Jesus. He is another advocate, one who comes along beside to do the work which Jesus came to do, and the Holy Spirit comes to do in like manner. Also we see in reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is identified as God. Acts chapter five, verse three through four. You've not lied to, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Acts 13, 2 through 4, we see the Holy Spirit specifically, individually, calling Barnabas and Saul for ministry, for the work which I set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And Acts 20, 28 says, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we see the Holy Spirit calls people into ministry as overseers. And 1 Corinthians 12, 11 talks about the Spirit, the same Spirit. Distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 or 15 through 17, the Holy Spirit speaking, and testifying, and says, This is a covenant which I will make with him after those days, says the Lord. Here we see the Holy Spirit being identified as being called Lord. In the Old Testament, we see that the creator, God, is the creator of all things. In Genesis 1, 1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Nehemiah 9:6, 2 Kings 19:15. You alone, Lord, have made the heaven and the earth. Isaiah forty four twenty four says, "Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, and the Maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself, spreading out the earth all alone." So clearly, we see what does the Old Testament teach: God alone is the Creator of all things. Yet, what we see from the New Testament perspective, the Father, Romans eleven thirty six, from whom and through whom, through him and to him, all things. 1 Corinthians 8 6 the father and Jesus are involved with creation John 1 3 all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being to come being Jesus was involved before his incarnation Colossians 1 16 70, For by him all things are created things in heaven and on earth again pointing to his pre-existence and being God prior to taking on flesh again Hebrews 1 10 and you Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. this is the father speaking of the son we see the Holy Spirit involved. Job 33, 4, Psalm 104, verse 30. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty has given me life. You send for your spirit, they are created. And we also see in Genesis 1, 2, the Holy Spirit being involved in creation. So as I wrap up, God is one. The Bible teaches one can be understood as a unity through the Old Testament and the New Testament. This gives a proper exegesis. I've seen how God, there can be one God revealed through three who's. The bible teaches that there is one god monotheism that the father is god jesus christ is god holy spirit is god and lastly the bible teaches that the, what we call the trinity namely that god is one in unity therefore the doctrine of the trinity is biblical understandable
0: and it's important to know who the god of the bible is thank you all right thank you kelly for that opening statement all right robert you are up next for your 15 minute opening And once again, I'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak.
2: All right. So um, here we go. The easiest way to refute a philosophy is to understand it. So I'm going to give you a couple terms and, you know, things Trinitarians say all the time that are unbiblical concepts and also unbiblical terminology. Let me just start off with the list. I have about 19 here god the son god the holy ghost god is three in one god is three holy trinity holy three eternal son eternally begotten son god is one in unity persons of god god the word three centers of consciousness three lords three kings three fathers three spirits and you know some even say three gods god is one being in three in person mystery of the trinity mystery of god in three persons the only mystery is how God came in the flesh. First Timothy three sixteen. God was manifested in the flesh. If you notice um, all these terminologies, I mean, all these words and phrases that are used by Trinitarians, they do not have any biblical support for it, but it's tossed around like it's biblical. And people presuppose certain things that are not biblical. So we should challenge that. Um I'm going to start off with Deuteronomy 6, 4, it's Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no translation ever written that says Yahweh our God is united. I know Kelly brought up that uh, the word Echad can be used for a unity and it can depending on the context. Just like the numerical one in English one can be used, like um, I say me and my wife are one. Yeah, it could be used the same way. But in Deuteronomy 6.4, the context is specifically talking about that God is one compared to all the other nations. Nate, all the other nations, the pagan nations, had multiple gods. So he's not coming over here to the, to, um, the Jewish people and saying the Lord our God is, is, is one in unity. There's, there's a lot of gods, yes, but we're one in unity. So that is not what Deuteronomy 6.4 is trying to say. And the Hebrew word Echad is also translated into Greek in the Septuagint and also in the New Testament for haste first first Corinthians eight six says um, for us there's one God the father and so the Greek word there is ace its equivalent is Echad, just like Kelly stated in his opening but if the father is united like the Trinity is united then the father is the only one that's united as God so it kind of refutes what he's trying to prove so let me just quote this again Deuteronomy 64 hero Israel, the Lord our God is the the Lord is one The word Lord is Yahweh in the original uh, Hebrew. So the word Yahweh means self-existing one. It's not self-existing two, three, or anything like that. And verse five says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit us in your house. Walk us by the way. You lie down when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon thy hand. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes. You shall write them on the post of your house and on your gates. So obviously here, it was so important for the oneness of God to the Jewish people that they did all this. They talked about it all the time. Whenever I talk to a Trinitarian, they don't talk about the oneness of God. They talk about how God is split, distinct, one God with a second God and a second God with a third God and so on. They don't talk about the oneness of God. One of the most famous, um, verses that they misinterpret. I've heard every apologist, every Christian Trinitarian apologist say this and quote it wrong. It's James chapter 2 verse 19. They say, you believe in, you believe in God? You do well. The devils also believe. And they totally avoid saying the word one. I have no idea why. Maybe it's their presupposition. But um, let's continue. So Old Testament, Exodus 20 verse 3 says, no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. So Yahweh is a self-existing one. There's over 20,000 times in the Old and New Testament that the God is referred to as a singular personal pronoun, over 20,000 times. Yahweh is used about 6,519 times. Yahweh, the self-existing one, not the self-existing two, not the self-existing three, or anything like that. Um, Jesus in John 8 58 says, before Abraham was, I am. And so he's claiming to be that self-existing one, not anything more than that. Jesus is God, not because he is a second God, but because God lives in him, dwells in him bodily, according to Colossians 2, 9 and John 14, 9 through 11. Jesus is called Elohim. Psalms 86, 10 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Psalm 45. Actually, Psalm eighty six ten is talking about Yahweh being the only Elohim. And in Psalm 45, it's the same author, David. He's saying that the uh, Elohim is Yahweh. And that is Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Let's go to Isaiah 43, 10 through 11. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, that I understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Singular personal pronoun. I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. The New Testament, Jesus is the Savior. Obviously, he is the one God incarnate. Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me, there is no God. Jesus quotes this in Revelations chapter 1, 17, I think it is. It says, I am the first and I am the last, and I was dead and alive forevermore. So he quotes this passage specifically from Isaiah, and literally, think about it. I am the first and I am the last. He almost... Finished it. Besides me, there is no God. If Kelly thinks Jesus could not say besides me, there is no God. But he says, no, there's the father and the Holy Ghost and they're not all revealed in Jesus. Then this is my point. They're making Jesus a lesser God or a demigod or a part of God, partial revelation of God, one third of God, whatever you want to call it. Isaiah 44, eight, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed there is no other rock I know not one. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ is the rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. If that rock was Christ then obviously there is a god is there a god besides me? Indeed there is no other rock I know not one. Isaiah 44:24 thus says the Lord your redeemer and he who formed you from the womb I am the Lord who maketh all things who stretched out the heavens all alone who spreads all the earth brought the earth by myself it can't get any clearer than that and so I have a number of uh, imagery of how Old Testament uses uh, terms or words to relate to God for example husband God is called the husband of Israel New Testament it's Christ second uh, Corinthians 11 2 Psalms 23 God is the shepherd John uh, 10 Christ is the shepherd like I said there's no other rock God, is the, the, the rock Isaiah 44 8 Christ is the rock first Corinthians ten four. God of God's uh, God is the king of kings, but maybe if you're a Trinitarian you might want to interpret it not a God among I mean they might say God among God's right, but I think it's saying God above God's so I think it would probably be better to interpret it that way. So king of kings not king among kings but king above kings he's the creator. And we already know that he is a creator all alone and by himself and um, the Holy One. He's called the Holy One over 50 times in the Old and New Testament. God is called the Holy One, never Holy Two, Holy Three, Holy Trinity or anything like that. There's only one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all and in us all. And so... Here's some anthropomorphic, I can't even say the word, imagery of when God uses certain terms to describe himself. He says, my hand, my face, my arm. It says, uh, Moses spoke to God face to face, face to mouth to mouth, as uh, one uh, person talks to his friend. And so that is important in the Old Testament. But some say, well, that's that's the Old Testament revelation. Well, let's go to the New Testament, Mark 12, 28 through 30. A scribe came to Jesus and said, Lord, which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus answered and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Hear that. Jesus is claiming the same commandment as the top commandment of all. And a Trinitarian might say, Hear, o Israel, the self-existing one is a unity of gods. Maybe they say that. I don't know. Of course, Kelly's probably going to deny that. I hope so. Verse um, 30, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He quotes again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Mark twelve thirty two, said, well said teacher, you have spoken the truth and there's one God and there is no other, alos, the same Greek word that Kelly's going to use in uh, John chapter 14 when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So according to Jesus here and the um, man, the scribe, he says, then there is no other, there's no other of the same kind, alos. And there's none other but he, singular, masculine, singular. Now, when Jesus saw he answered wisely or intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So according to Jesus, he didn't correct him and say, hey, wait, wait, there's two more you're missing here. He didn't say that. He says he answered wisely. Now, there's 613 commandments in the Bible, but there's only one that is the greatest commandment, according to Moses and according to Jesus. So what is our Hermeneutical principle when we come reading the Bible. I know I've read a lot of books in hermeneutics and they all give these rules, five, six rules, ten rules or whatever, but I think the rule should be in every hermeneutical book is that God is one, absolutely one. So if I read a passage that causes me to split God, divide God or anything like that, I'm in error in my interpretation. Mormons have a problem with this. They see pluralities everywhere. Everywhere they'll see plurality of gods. Why? Because they believe in a multiplicity of gods. I would recommend trinitarians not do that many exegetical scholars do not uh, they really lean on my side when it comes to certain passages that are disputed among us i'll give you um a couple um people i got four minutes that are trinitarian scholars so let me give you a uh, frank Stagg. he says but what began in an insistence upon triunity eventually became an emphasis upon the threeness and increasing jeopardy of the belief in oneness To the term Trinity, were soon added the terms persons, three persons, three persons in the Godhead, and even the ranking of the persons at first, second, and third. Thus, Trinitarianism was fast on the way to tritheism, a de facto belief in three distinct gods. That's uh, Frank Stagg. He's a professor of New Testament interpretation, Southern Baptist. I I think he uh, passed away a few years back. Here's Alistair McGrath. He says, by stating that there were three persons but only one God, Tertullian was asserting that all three major roles in the great drama of human redemption are played by the one and the same God. The three great roles in the the drama are played by the same actor, God. Each of these roles may reveal God in somewhat different way, but it is the same God in every case. So when we talk about God as one person, we mean one person in the modern sense of the word. And when we talk about God as three persons, we mean three persons in the ancient sense of the word. Confusing these two senses of the word, person, inevitably, inevitably I can't even read it, leads to the idea that God is actually a committee. Here's Charles, uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie. But many doctrines are accepted by evangelicals being clearly taught in the scripture for which there are no proof texts. The doctrine of the Trinity furnishes the best example of this. It is fair to say that the Bible does not clearly teach the doctrine of the Trinity, Trinitarian professor, Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. James White, he says, even a lot of our seminary grads would struggle with He's speaking about the doctrine of the Trinity, quote, if I were to give a test on a Sunday morning in almost any large conservative Bible-believing church, hear that, any conservative Bible-believing church, I'm quite concerned over the majority of the attendees would test out to be modalist. Think about that. Kelly Powers, he says, Jesus was the embodiment of the Father, God come in the flesh. Not not necessarily literally the Father, but he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is a quote from him from his debate with John Barton. I'm like, exactly right. What are we here for then? What are we debating for then? If Jesus was the embodiment of the Father, God come in the flesh, then why are you pushing the distinction so much to have two separate persons? Eddie Dalcourt, um, he says, the Son of the, the son is a revelation of the Trinity, and I say, amen. That's exactly my point. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, not a part of God or a second God or half of God or anything like that. God is revealed in that man, Jesus Christ. Dr. Walter Martin, he says, the eternal Son is unbiblical, and I know Kelly's going to bring up those passages that are disputed among scholars. He's going to say, I'm going to be, you know, a bad maybe a heretic for not interpreting the passages like he does, but Dr. Walter Martin says the eternal son is unbiblical. He's the original Bible answer man. And he says it would, uh, Dr. Walter Martin in another uh, debate with Robert Saban, he says, we would be ridiculous to think that God's person is somehow like ours. Uh, Michael Burgos, when he was asked, uh, how many persons will we see in heaven? Uh, he says, to Christ and to, to see Christ and to commune with Christ is necessarily to commune with the Father and the Holy spirit. He continues. I don't presume I say, I'm going to see three figures. That's tritheism. That's exactly my point. It's tritheism to think of three persons. So why use the term God is spirit. God is not limited. Like Jesus Christ was limited. Jesus Christ was limited to the human body because of the incarnation, but in him, God united himself with flesh. God existed in him and beyond the incarnation in time, out of time. He's eternal. But he still was the visible image of the invisible God, the express image of God's person. So who do Trinitarians even show up to a debate like that? Like, why are you saying that three persons are so necessity that you have to force it into the Bible? Um, I think the problem with the word persons is that humans are persons. And God is not a person like humans are. So when you divide God into the three, then that means God is only limited to three locations. You got God over here and God over there and God over here, but that's it. That's
0: it. all right. That's time, Robert. Thank you so much for your opening statement. All right, Kelly, you're back in the seat for your seven minute rebuttal. And right now you're still showing your presentation, Kelly, or you're still sharing screen. So I don't know if you want to log off of that and uh, get your screen back up or how you want to do it.
1: What's going on here? Can you still hear me?
0: yeah i can hear you but it's not showing your your video your camera it's just showing like you still are sharing your uh there are you go back? yeah you're back now kelly you're back now
1: all right that was weird i don't know what this is, so weird anyway thank you very much Am I, i'm all good here
0: you're all good and i'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak thank you very much appreciate that
1: Thank you, Robert, for your opening. Um, interesting comments. seven minutes. not going to go extremely fast, so I try to do the best I can with certain notes for sure. You know, when it talks about Trinitarians have lots of terminology, God the Son, or different things like that, a lot of times that, that's just how different people will try to explain things. I don't normally do that, and you, you've, I'm sure you've never heard me use the expression God the Son. That's not a, a normal thing I would use. If anything at all, I would say the Father calls the Son. Or jesus the son in hebrews 1. Uh, you went to hebrew or deuteronomy 6 4 and he said that there's no translation that says united that's that's correct it, it has the word one that's why i went through actual scholarship demonstrating how that word akkad is used and also how the greek word heis is used in unity and even referencing deuteronomy 6 4. Now the point is that there is no direct verse anywhere in the Old Testament that ever says God is only one person. You will never find. Just like you, you, people want to attack the Trinity and say there's no word Trinity. Granted, okay, you got it. There's no word theocracy. There's no word eschatology or soteriology or whatever else. We can go down the line. The bottom line is though is that when it has the word ekkate or heist, depending upon what you were looking at, there are a plethora of examples. That can demonstrate that there is a unity involved. That's the whole point. I'm not using Deuteronomy 64 to prove the Trinity. I use it to demonstrate you can't use that to refute the Trinity. If you can provide a single reference where it says explicitly God is only one person, you win the debate as a oneness person because that's your perspective. You have a oneness perspective. Going on here, um, you talked about the issue of uh, no single scripture talks about God. Well, what about Genesis: 126, Genesis 3:22, Genesis 11:7, where God said, "Let us." Or Genesis 19:24, where it says, "The Lord Yahweh, rained fire and brimstone from Yahweh out of heaven." And we have Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 50, and Amos chapter 4, verse 10: 11, all demonstrate that there were two who were involved in that. Now you did talk about James two nineteen. Yeah, a lot of people don't say uh, God is one. I get that. No big argument there. I wouldn't object uh, to that. It's not a big deal. It just says God is one. Same word heiss Again, same kind of word that's used for the body of church. Galatians three twenty eight. So there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond slave or freeman. We are all one heis in Christ. The bottom line is in this debate that's going to be getting to in the cross examination is demonstrating that Jesus is not the Father jesus is not the holy spirit jesus is a distinct person so you of course believe jesus is god but you believe he's the father right that's the problem you talk about all these different verses thousands of whatever personal pronouns granted yes we can see a lot of that in the old testament no doubt no disagreement there for sure how many verses though would we need if we're talking about let's say example the resurrection of jesus christ how many new testament verses would we need to believe that Jesus was resurrected. Would one be enough? Two, three, four, five? Do we need twenty thousand? Or would handful, double digits be enough? There are countless examples, Old and New Testament, where the word one is clearly used as a unity. So even though there may be all these thousand that you think proves it, actually, this proves the Trinity one of the verses you brought up Isaiah 44 24 says Jehovah alone or Yahweh alone is the Creator by myself made all things yet the Bible says the father was involved first Corinthians 8 6 and Jesus and that passes the Holy Spirit's involved in Psalm 104 verse 30 Job 33 verse 4 Genesis 1 2 all three are involved that actually proved the triunity so the very verse that you is a classical Unitarian or a one this person or anyone else out there listening that verse actually supports the trinity ironically going on here um you talked about the first and the last in regards to isaiah i'm just happen to pick certain things here not get all of them you talked about you know jesus you referenced jesus in revelation 1:17, where he's the first to last right Gen- uh, revelation 2:8 says it and also revelation chapter 22 verse 12 and 13 talks about it too but did you know In Isaiah chapter 48 in my opening in Isaiah 48 verses 12 and on that the speaker is identified as the first as The last the I am he right and it says in verse 16 that first and that last who the one who's speaking is sent By the Lord God so notice here the first and last you believe to be Jesus is sent by the Lord God once again showing distinction of persons pointing to the Trinity. Now, another thing you brought up, Mark chapter 12, 28 through 30, which is interesting to me as you're looking at that text where it says that he's asked and he gives them you know the question here. Jesus said, Here, O oh Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your might. And then the second is this, you'll love your neighbor yourself. And there's no other greater command The describes the teacher, you're right. You truly say that he is one. and There's no one else beside him, as if like Jesus needed to have approval, right? But then we'll notice what Jesus goes on to say. What does Jesus goes on to say in verse 35? Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? And David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. That's the same one here that Jesus is speaking of too. And he goes on to say, the Lord said to my Lord he says how does he call him the Son? in what sense this is pointing to Jesus being that Lord who was with the Father from the very beginning so the very text that you point to as the Unitarian goes on to backfire and refute you now I'll leave it this as my time is wrapping up you referenced me in a debate with John Barton I'm sure that you and you corrected yourself because I have never said that Jesus is the embodiment of the Father and if I did I would have corrected myself because that's one this heresy but I did say Jesus is the image of the invisible God that you alluded to. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, meaning that he is one with the Father by nature with the Father and was sent for the Father. And if you keep reading John 14, 9, verse 10, 11, and 12, what does it say? I'm going back to the Father. So therefore, it proves Jesus is not the Father. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Kelly, for that rebuttal. All right, Robert, you're back in the seat for your seven minute rebuttal. And I'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak.
2: Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, Kelly talked about the. So, I'm just trying to hit a couple of things from his opening. I'll have to do his the rebuttal he just gave from uh, later, if there is a later. So, in his opening, he says God is one, like the church is one, and uh, he uses that like the Trinity. So, if God is one, like the church. That, that sounds like Mormonism. You have, is that what you're saying? You're saying God is one like millions and millions of Christians? That just doesn't make sense. You're, you're making the word one mean nothing anymore. It doesn't make nothing, doesn't even make sense. How could God be one and then be millions and millions and millions of people, believers? One like that? Is that what you mean? It doesn't make any sense at all. You were saying the Jewish perspective. You quoted uh, some uh, Jews for Jesus and so on. Well, the Jewish perspective of what Moses said, Deuteronomy 6, 4. You said that the word echad, and you you gave the word yakid as the absolute one, oneness of, uh, in Hebrew, that's the way it's supposed to be, is um, yakid is the proper word. It should have been if God was alone and by himself and so on. The other verses refute that. Isaiah forty four twenty four refute that idea because God is alone all by himself and created the world, uh, the universe by himself, he says. Yakid is never, ever, ever in the Old Testament translated as the word one. Never. And you won't give one text at all for that because it's never translated Yaquid as one. Never. So that refutes that idea. And you did say in the John Barton debate that uh, Jesus is the embodiment of the father. You did say that. I could write it down. I'll send it to you. I'll put it in the comments later. I could find that debate pretty quick. I watched it three or four times. I even showed my friends. I'm like, look what he said. And I'm going to debate this guy. And I don't even know why we're debating. He agrees with me. So, okay. And, uh, ekad and heis and heis is used in the new testament that's a greek word for the word one it's used in the new testament and um, you said certain contexts it means one in unity and so on well that's the same way the word one is used so if the word one is used in some contexts is one and some contexts as a unity that's exactly how the number one is used in english so there's no problem there we'll just have to debate in the, the context and see if it's Doing an absolute one, or is it talking about unity? Each context has its own meaning. And you said that the Son came not to do His own will. I thought He was equal with the Father. I thought He was a co God with the Father, Him and the Holy Ghost, and so on. He would have the same will as the Father, not to do, I'm not here to do my own will, Jesus says, but to do, do the will of the Father. And it doesn't make any sense if you're a Trinitarian because now you have one person's will different from the other person's will. Or the son's will not being the same as the father's will. Makes totally no sense at all. It says they came forth from the father. We know how he came forth from the father. Because he was born of a virgin. Galatians 4.4 4 says God sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Made under the law. And so he's literally made. Come into existence. genomai that's what it means in the Greek. He's come into his existence. Danker talks about that. Art Bauer and Gingrich also. John 17.5. He says the glory I had with you before the world was... It wasn't the it wasn't glory that um, like you divine glory, because in the next verses, he says that he's going to share that glory with his disciples. He did not share divine glory with his disciples. Um, all 12 disciples didn't become part of the Godhead and become. Now you have uh, 15 members of the Godhead. That doesn't make sense at all. So if you mean it's divine glory or you're talking about some other type of glory, I think the glory he's talking about in John 17 is, a, is he's praying he's going to the cross. That is the glory. That's when he's going to be glorified john 7 37 through 39 says um he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive because the holy ghost, holy ghost was not yet given because jesus was not yet glorified so the, the holy ghost comes after the glorification that is the cross and um let's see here maybe i could hit a couple of these he talks about genesis 126 says let us make man in our image And then the next verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. Adam wasn't a trinity of persons. He was one person, just like we are one person. And so if Jesus is the uh, image of God, he's one person. He's not three persons. Uh, Jesus is the fullness of God. He's the final revelation of God. He is not three persons. So if you're saying that God was speaking to two others who were God, well, think about it. Just plain language, if you say, let us go to the store, that doesn't turn the person who says, let us go to the store, into three people. So I think you're reading too much into the text. I think it was the angels that were with him every time in the Bible that Jesus, um, um, well, Jesus is later, but God speaks in the Old Testament. He's talking about, uh, he's always with angels. Isaiah 6, 8, you brought up. That's a perfect example. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And that's what I was going to say. That's Jesus on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 according to John chapter 12. So whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the previous verses show that the angels, the seraphims were around the throne. So that's no problem there. That just shows there's one God sitting on the throne, surrounded by angels, and God speaks on behalf of his kingdom. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And um, let's see. He said, how many verses do we need to prove the resurrection? I give you 20,000. There's 20,000 verses that's singular personal pronouns for God. Is 20,000 not good enough? Uh, Of course, we only need one uh, verse for the resurrection. We have one verse that says, uh, Jesus says, John 14, 9 through 11, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells within me, he's doing the works. Uh, Creation, Son, Holy Ghost, Father, and so on. The Son did not come into existence until... The virgin birth. Galatians 4.4 says that. Um, the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God in action. It's the same God in action. It's not two people limited in time and space. Isaiah 48 6, 16, it says that uh, the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. So if you want to push this to its extreme, I know John Calvin said that was a tortured interpretation of that verse. So if you're a John Calvin fan, I know Kelly's not, but John Calvin fan, He's saying that people interpret this to mean that it's Christ. He said it's a tortured interpretation of that verse, Isaiah 48, 16. And many commenters, commentators have said the same thing. Psalms 110, 1. It says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool for your feet. Um, ch- Acts chapter 2, I believe it is, 17. It is where Paul, Peter interprets this passage to refer to, it was referring to David, in the old test but now it's being applied to the to jesus in the new testament and he argues from the act acts chapter two that it can't be referred to david because he's both dead and buried but jesus is sitting at the right hand of god what does that mean all right, uh, Mark all right 15, that's, 16, time.
0: 16. that's time uh, that's, that's time that's time right 16. there that's time right there robert thank you so much for you guys opening and you guys cross x appreciate it and let me where's my uh where's that timer at oh there it is All right, guys, let me bring you guys back in so we get this uh, cross-ex going. All right, good job, guys. Appreciate you for the openings and the rebuttal. So now we're about to jump into the cross-examination. Once again, this will be a 40-minute cross-ex. Both of you will get 20 minutes each to ask questions. In your efforts to answer the question, make sure that you, if you can, answer the question with a simple yes or no, please do so. Do not go long-winded. Also, as far as the questioner, I understand there's a wind-up time, sort of a winding up your question to get to the point, but let's try to make that as brief as possible get right to your question so we can have a very fruitful and direct cross x all right that said kelly you're up first for your cross examination of robert and i will start your 20 minute timer as soon as you begin to ask your first question all
1: right thank you very much robert can you hear me okay
2: yes sir all right
1: Would you agree from your perspective, by the way, thank you. There's lots of things, of course, I can't respond to and you couldn't respond to in response time. So I'm just going to have to let some things go for now. Uh, Would you agree that if Jesus pre-existed prior to his incarnation, meaning Jesus, the individual, the son, um, prior to his incarnation, that would be a problem for you in your oneness perspective? Yeah, I think so. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So I want to make sure. Would you agree that if the Holy Spirit is a distinct person numerically from the Father and from Jesus Christ, would that cause also a problem for you as a oneness believer? Yes, sir. Okay, fair enough. Would you agree that if the Old Testament teaches that there is a unity in how God has been revealed, that that would also be a problem for you as a oneness believer yes okay fair enough would you agree that if jesus pre-existed prior to his incarnation and that the holy spirit is another one numerically from the father and the son and that the old testament teaches that there is a unity that's been revealed that god's been revealed that this would actually point to the doctrine of the Trinity
2: Say that one more time i'm sorry i'm writing notes go ahead
1: that's fine i'll, 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 read, I'll read it slower i'm even sometimes I have to even correct my own words here sometimes it's funny would you agree since based on what you've shared so far the three questions already previous would you agree that if jesus pre-existed prior to his incarnation the holy spirit is another numerically person that is distinct from the father and the son or jesus and that the holy uh, that the old testament teaches that there is a unity in how God has been revealed, would you believe that that would point a person to believe the Trinity is possible or biblical?
2: Yes, if it says persons, then yeah, of course.
1: Okay, I'm just, I'm just trying to get the gist, you know, just where we're at here, right?
2: And I assume that all these answers that you gave
1: is what you would give. I just wanted to make sure for clarity. All right. In Genesis chapter 18, are you familiar with Genesis 18 where it says the lord came down was talking with abraham and sarah and then talked about that this time next year they would have a son and that the lord was speaking there in person with abraham yes can you tell me who you believe that lord was that was talking in person with abraham there at that context
2: yahweh yahweh Yahweh. yeah the self-existing one
1: Now, could you explain to me, do you believe that these different examples, when the Lord is actually there on earth talking with Abraham, that this was somebody that Abraham actually did see?
2: Yeah, it looks like it, yeah.
1: Okay, appreciate that. In John 6, 46, Jesus said that no one has seen the Father but the Son. Do you agree with Jesus when he said no one has seen the Father? Yes. So then let's go back to the question again in 18. Who did they see in Genesis 18?
2: Probably um, God in a the theophany, or visible manifestation. Uh, it looks like he's human form there, so... yeah, is probably he the father,
1: or is he someone else?
2: He's Yahweh. The son doesn't is come Yahweh the, Is Yahweh the father? Yeah, yeah, he is.
1: So then Jesus said... People have seen the father in the old testament yes or no
2: well let's see here so we have god revealing himself as a man that wrestled with jacob god in a bush and so on anybody that has seen those manifestations could say yes i seen god so you'll have places that say i seen god and so on jacob says he wrestled with god but obviously it's it's not going to be god it's going to be in a temporary manifestation of God. We wouldn't say the bush is God, you know, or sitting in a uh, throne in heaven. So are you saying like that, that
1: something or someone else, other than God the Father, actually appeared to all these people?
2: No, I'm just saying it's a theophany or a temporary visible manifestation of God.
1: So again, so if they did have a theophany and only the Father is God, and they saw God in the Old Testament, yet how do you explain Jesus said no one has seen the Father?
2: Yeah, probably, again, it's a visible manifestation. Um, like, just like the, like, again, the bush. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree that, well, I can't ask you the question, I guess, but I, I would agree that if, if someone saw the bush, the angel of the Lord speaking from the bush, they would say they seen God. But according to John, and according to John chapter 118 and 6, I think 646 you quoted, is that right? Yeah. Um, no one has seen God at any time, so they're saying that God has never seen God's glory, His, um, in anything like that. So it's going to be I a temporary. I didn't, I didn't directly quote no, the I,
1: other ones on that one. I just quoted John six forty six.
2: Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I, I was just talking about John one eighteen, that it right. says. Oh, I did that uh, no in my opening
1: that Jesus came reveal the Father in my opening. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But here's my point. Yeah, well, of what you just said, though. So let's let's just go off yeah. what you just said here. So based on what I've asked you theophanies yeah. different ways how you know even Genesis 16 with Hagar she sees the angel of the Lord and identifies him as Yahweh as Lord and says I've seen face to face and my life was spared so all these different yeah. places in the Old Testament which I do believe they are theophanies my question to you again though is you believe all these examples are in fact Yahweh God who is only the father correct yes so then the question that comes back to it though then if Jesus said that no one has seen the father wouldn't this kind of cause a problem, then, if we have all these examples, countless, many examples, I just highlighted just a couple right now, where we've seen people see Theophanies in the Old Testament, where they've seen God, and yet we see Jesus saying, no one has ever seen the Father. If they didn't see the Father, and you believe Yahweh is the Father only, and you agree that people have seen Yahweh in the Old Testament, yet Jesus said no one seen the Father, then who else could they have possibly seen?
2: Yeah, well, uh, Hebrews one one says God has in these last days spoken to us by its Son. God has spoken in different ways, in different manners, through the prophets. So only in the last days, in the first century, God spoke through the Son. So if you're thinking that the Son existed back then, well, it contradicts Galatians 4.4. 4. God sent forth the Son made of a woman. He was called the Son of God, Luke one thirty five, because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. So the Son did not exist. The Son is purely relational it's only talking about the i I disagree
1: i'm going to move on though you've answered it a few different times
2: and i think you get the thrust of my question i get it okay
1: uh my next question to you is i'll read it out loud to you but you can also turn to you like in john chapter 8 is a classic example where jesus is debating the jews and the back and forth going on we know going up and we're getting towards verse 39 i'll read it out loud they answered and said to him meaning jesus abraham is our father Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of of Abraham. Verse 40, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. My question to you is, is when did Abraham not try to kill Jesus?
2: Well, if you believe Jesus is the one eternal God, then then that's, that's perfect.
1: But do you yeah. actually believe Jesus, meaning Jesus, existed in the Old Testament prior to his incarnation?
2: Yeah, we're saying the word, the name Jesus or Christ or the Son. That that's all talking about the incarnation. So, uh, in one sense, you could say, you know, the Son created the world and so on. It's talking about as his divinity, as his eternal nature, not a, not not the man, the man Christ Jesus, didn't. Let me read it it to you one more
1: time here. So let me just read the verse here. You can can try and get the thrust of what I'm trying to ask you here. But as you are seeking to kill me, meaning Jesus, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. So he shows distinction of himself here, and I believe the Father there. But he says, this Abraham did not do. This would be something of the Old Testament. My question to you is, is, when did Abraham not try to kill Jesus?
2: Well, um, if, if you presuppose God is one, um, you're going to push that all the way through. If you're going to look at passages and try to find father and son living side by side with each other, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to interpret that as a plurality. So if you're, if, right. I think you're probably saying the, the three men that came to Abraham, one of them is probably the son in your, in your view. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, what I'm just saying is, different examples, you know, just sharing quickly my perspective, is Jesus said, "Don't no see the Father. You've agreed that there are people in the Old Testament who have seen God, Yahweh, yeah. but Jesus said they didn't see the Father, and I believe Jesus pre-existed, who is also in the same context of John 8, the Eternal I Am. So I'd be saying, I believe they saw Jesus, which at least I have some biblical support for that. But let me move on, Okay. My next question to you is from Genesis 19.24, which was part of my opening. The Jews, um, we see from here, the Lord—let me first ask you a question before I get—I I went too far. Who is the Lord who is on earth at this time with Abraham? You've already acknowledged you believe it's Yahweh, so just to make, for, make sure you're still on the same point. You're believing that's Yahweh who is on earth at that time, Genesis 18.19, correct? Yes. Okay, who is the one whom the Lord rained fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven? Who is the Lord in heaven here?
2: Yeah, it's Yahweh, the self-existing one rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the self-existing one out of the heavens. And then verse 25 says, so he overthrew those cities. Um, if you're looking for me to say that there's two Yahwehs here, then that's against Deuteronomy 6.4 any more than there's two solomons in first kings eight one fair enough first um, king with with later
1: but so so just to clarify here so the text says the lord rained fire and brimstone from yes. the lord out of heaven and in my opening i presented um, isaiah 13 jeremiah 50 verse 40 and amos verse 4 verse 10 and 11 which in context demonstrates there were two who were involved are you disagreeing two, with those verses?
2: Are you saying two Yahwehs? That's I mean, what the Genesis 19
1: not. states here. I'm just going with what the text says. Are you agreeing no, with what the text says?
2: That. So either we have a contradiction in Deuteronomy 6.4, or you're seeing plurality when there should not be one.
1: I would say you have the contradiction because the word one there doesn't say one person. It just says one, which I've demonstrated. One can y- mean as unity, which you even agreed yes, I
2: mean, on. One human now, person. Now let me ask no, you a question.
1: Let me ask you a question. Are you familiar with some of the Jewish tagrams?
2: Yeah targums, Yes.
1: Okay, are you familiar with the Targum Jonathan 1924 which states the Memra of the Lord caused to descend upon the peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven Targum Jerusalem Genesis 19 states and the word of the Lord himself had made to descend upon the people of Sodom and Gomorrah showers of favor that they might work repentance from their wicked works But when the shower saw the showers of favor, they said so our wicked works are not manifest before him. So he Memra then turned to cause upon brimstone and fire from the Lord of heavens Would it be possible that there is some kind of indication that Jewish people? believe that the Memra the word of the Lord was actually a distinct personage in the old testament from what we'd understand yahweh or the father from your perspective no and yet this is what they have said yeah
2: well the targums also targum jonathan talks about um that genesis 126 is not a plurality of persons they said that it was god with the angels so i know trinitarians used that you know targum for one verse but then they don't like the other verse where it says that god let us make man in, in our image and so on right genesis one well, that's 26. where i'm going
1: next that's actually a good thing here so yeah. let me ask you a question on that so genesis 1 1. genesis 1 1 says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth you believe clearly unequivocally god's creator correct yes sir in 26 that you just alluded to and god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness who is God speaking to here
2: the angels
1: in verse 27 it says God created man in his own image the image of God he created him male and female where do we get any verse in the Bible that man was created in the image of angels
2: well it doesn't say that but it's 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 I think it's implied Genesis 18 um, verse 2 talks about three men coming to um, you know some people think it's angels genesis 32 34. the angel of the lord wrestled with jacob he looks like a man um, it says then jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him acts 1 right. 10 through but, 11. But the point is says,
1: none of those verses that you're in, talking about there have right. anything to do with man being created in the image of angels are you agreeing with me that the bible is very clear that man was created in the image of god or you believe angels yes.
2: No, I believe so that. So then again, um, then if he's, he's
1: created in the image of God and not angels, who is the "us" and "our" here?
2: Yes. So it could be angels. Again, you use the uh, Jonathan Target. for that. How could it be angels? Well, oh, I just told you they. If God and everywhere in the Old Testament where God says "us," there's always angels with Him. The context in every single verse shows angels are with Him. Um, right after this verse, um, Adam sins, and then there's an angel put. A Cherubim next to the uh, tree of life and so on so there's angels. All all right, I'm gonna over, move on but I
1: think the audience can get the gist of my question there that it, it's fair, fair enough in Isaiah 44:24, Something that I spoke of in my opening and you even alluded to which is interesting enough to me says this Thus says the Lord your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the moon I the Lord and the maker of all things stretch out the heavens by myself Spreading out the earth all alone you agree with that verse correct? yes sir tell me according to first corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 who is involved in creation
2: yeah it says god the father created all things and then it says uh through all things by jesus christ i I gotta look it up real quick
1: i can read it for you it says yet for us there is one god the father from whom are all things we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things we exist. Is it not indicating that both the Father and the Son were involved in creation?
2: Well, not in the sense that you're taking it. I, I know you think there was a co-creator, but um, you know, it says God I'm was just reading all alone the text. By it himself. says
1: one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things we exist for him.
2: Does he not include the Father and the Son
1: in this text involved from whom all things exist.
2: Well, the Son didn't come into existence until after. So, um, so then so how did he
1: create 21st. all things, John 1.3, Colossians 1.16, if he didn't come into existence to his incarnation?
2: Well, I think you're taking the, the word wrong. I think you think it means creation, but it's talking about uh, when God created the whole world, he had the Son in view. He had the Son in mind. And so say that just at? like I, well that's the that word by well I want to go to the Greek there and we could discuss that.
1: I'm just going with what the text clearly says my friend Robert it says by the father from whom all things and Jesus Christ by whom are all things. Let me move on to my next question my time is going fast. In regards to Hebrews one ten, Hebrews one ten. In verse 5 and on, it talks about the Father speaking in reference to the Son. And in verse 10, it says this, the Father speaking, And you, Lord, speaking to the Son, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. How can the Father call Jesus Christ the Son, Lord, Prior to his incarnation and being the very one who created all things, according to what we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through
2: 12. Yeah, well, the context is it starts off with Hebrews 1 1. It says, God, who at sundry times in many places spoke in times past by the fathers through the prophets. And then the author of Hebrews starts quoting the prophets. He starts quoting Psalm 45, Psalm 102. So in this sense, God is speaking to the Son through Scripture. It's a prophecy in Psalms. The original person who is saying that is actually David himself. Uh, David is praying to God, and now the writer of Hebrews uh, equates that and applies that to Jesus Christ. It's not one God sitting next to another God talking. That's two gods. It's God in Scripture. The text, though, says,
1: though, my question, though just to be clear, is it says that the Father speaks to the Son in reference to the Son in the context here, and he calls him... Lord, which would have been pre incarnation, once again proving his pre existence. I have one, look like 30 seconds left. Let me ask one more question before we wrap up. I appreciate you being respectful. The Holy Spirit. In John 14 16, 14 26, 15 26, and 16 7, Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as another advocate. And as I pointed out, that word, another, according to Greek scholarship, Talks about that the word another has the meaning one who is numerically another besides distinct from the speaker himself. How come Jesus in those three chapters of 14, 15, 16 speaks so uniquely of the Holy Spirit 29 distinct times from himself and the Father if the Holy Spirit is not a distinct person from the Father and the Son?
2: Well, because God is not limited to persons. God is a spirit. But if you just look at the, the verse here, it says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, alos. It's the same word that you're, you're saying, uh, another exactly. of the same kind. Then he goes on to say, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, I will come to you as a Holy Spirit. The other if comforter agree, is not actually in talking
1: about. The yeah, that's talking about his resurrection. He's not teaching these the Holy Spirit. No, All right, thank you. I think my time
0: is up. Appreciate it. All right, Robert, you are now up for your 20-minute cross-ex of Kelly.
2: Okay. All right, so uh, did Jesus have the same view of God as you do when it comes to the Trinity? Did did, did Jesus believe God was three persons?
1: I believe that when we look at the Scriptures, specifically, say, the Gospels, that Jesus was... Quite clear that he was a distinct person from the Father and as I was just talking a moment ago from the Holy Spirit so I believe when we look at what Jesus taught he taught that they were each unique distinct persons and that there was one God
2: okay and um so when Jesus says my God your God my father your father it's in uh, I believe it's in John chapter 20 John,
1: John twenty seventeen, correct
2: yeah, you got it. And um, it, it, he's, he's in, in his mind, the Jewish people that are in front of him, they had the same God as he did. Uh, he didn't say, you know, Father, Son and Holy Ghost or anything like that, but he didn't say there are three persons of God. And you think you have the same view of God as they did, or is it a little bit different because of a new revelation or something like that?
1: Sure. Well, let, me, let me just read the text here. I have it in front of my screen here. So, Jesus said to stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my my God and your God. What I note here is he didn't say, I'm the Father. He says, I'm going to my Father. He also doesn't say to them, our Father. He says to your Father. So, in a special relationship he has with the Father. He also says, my God, not our God, Right so Jesus I believe even in this text here part of our debate as well is part of this as well as you as a oneness person this would actually be another verse that would go against your perspective I believe because here it says he's Jesus is not the father he's going back to be with the father once again showing his special relationship as a son to the father
2: yeah this this verse right here if you just looked at it on face value it would show that Jesus is not God at all in, in some sense and it doesn't Whoa. say that he's co divine person at all so well he's talking about god as his eternal father remember john 17 3. let's go like this in light of john 17 3 when he says this is life eternal that they might know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent he puts himself outside of the godhead and the godhead is fully as as the father and uh do, do you, can you pray that prayer? Can you say there's only one God, the Father and Jesus Christ, like First Timothy two five says?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting if you were to compare First John, or sorry, John seventy three with First John five twenty. The Apostle John, who also wrote this, also makes note that Jesus is called the one true God as well, in connection with this verse. But what's interesting to me you as a oneness person has openly stated, not only from John 20:17 that Jesus is not God, but now you're using this to try to disprove this as well, as if Jesus is still not God, but yet you as a oneness believe that Jesus is the Father, the embodiment of the Father come in the flesh, which would be technically God, I'm actually quite surprised that you would be pointing this, because this again would refute oneness. But to answer your question more directly, I just simply believe that this here is Jesus pointing to the Father in the high priestly prayer. He came to represent us as a man. That was what he is—a high priest, and he points and speaks language that would be a high priestly type of language as a man. But he is also God coming to flesh yes. at the same exact time. Yes.
2: That's my point in John 17. He's speaking as a man. He's praying as a man. He's not praying in virtue, but not, but of not
1: alone, me. right? That's not it, though. You, you didn't. I can't ask you directly, but just to clarify, didn't you say a moment ago? You didn't believe that Jesus was God when He was talking in John twenty seventeen.
2: No, I'm just saying that in virtue of this human experience, you know, only flesh, only humans pray. So, in the context of the incarnation, God became a man and He prayed just like any man would pray. It doesn't show two persons, or else you also have one praying who is inferior to the other. It doesn't show a co-e- a co-equality of anything. It just shows that one is inferior and one superior. So the point is, he's praying because I, of the
1: Yeah, respectfully, I think, if you're looking at this verse, and clearly what it's teaching this would actually go against you, but I can't ask these questions. Well, I there's to go a, lot of,
2: a lot of lot uh, of Trinitarian scholars who don't agree that this is coming from his deity. He's not praying from his deity, because sure, God, by sure. definition, doesn't need to pray. So, okay, let's I, move on. I,
1: I have to keep my questions. I can't say anything, so go ahead.
2: <laughs> okay, sorry about that. All right. That's okay. So um, let me see here. I have some... Questions in my opening statement, I want to ask, but I want to see if I could find them real quick. Okay, um, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. I'm going to try to do it by memory, see if I could find it. But um, it says that where a testament is, there of, of necessity needs to be the death of a testator. Uh, we know, both of us agree, that Yahweh. Um, is Father, Son and Holy Ghost in some sense. Uh, but I don't think they're three persons. I think it's just three revelations of the same God. And so if the testator had to die or the testament maker, uh, how would you would you be comfortable saying, I think it's Jeremiah 31 31 it says, I will make a new covenant in the house of Israel in those days. And um, so is Jesus the Father, Son and Holy Ghost in the sense that he is the testament maker? According to Hebrews 9, 16.
1: This is actually an excellent verse. A lot of times I'm using this to respond to Unitarians or Jehovah's Witnesses or other groups out there, not directly yourself as a oneness type of person. But what's interesting to me, if you don't mind, I just want to go back to verse 15. It says, For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, meaning Jesus, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed in the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. where a covenant is there must be of necessity the death of the one who made it so it's interesting to me this would be pointing to jesus pre-existing in the old testament who gave the old covenant to the people in order to establish a new one jesus whom we both would at least agree in some sense did come and did die physically to establish the new covenant so i believe this will be pointing as evidence. To the Trinity that Jesus pre existed as Jesus prior to his incarnation, as I've also pointed out, identified as Lord.
2: Okay. Well, Hebrews 10 15 through 16 says, The Holy Ghost is also a witness. He says, This is the covenant that I will make after those days. So, is the Holy Ghost the, the covenant maker in Jesus Christ?
1: So, this was also a part of my opening as well, you may or not remember. In reference to the Holy Spirit, so this is where the tri unity of God works beautifully, because we see how at different times in Scripture, one can be referenced and another can be referenced, yet they're distinct. In Isaiah or in Hebrews ten here, as you're talking about the Holy Spirit speaking, the Holy Spirit's the one signifies and says, "This is the covenant I will make with him," going back to Jeremiah thirty-one verses thirty-three and thirty-four. So again, from my perspective, I may I know you don't agree. But from my perspective, this is evidence pointing to the Trinity not against.
2: Um, okay, it, all, if, if God is a Trinity, then all three persons would have to die to take it full effect. but you're saying that they're so united in um, I don't know if you believe this the doctrine of perichoresis, is that what you call that? They're so united in one that if you if you you know the one that does something, they all do it, is that what you believe?
1: I don't know if I would agree with that directly. I, I'm not really familiar with that particular term, to be honest. So I can't really give an answer. If you want to maybe reword your question, maybe I could try.
2: Yeah, so like if, if for example, it's if Jesus died on the cross, he made the yeah. new covenant, um, is all the fullness of the Godhead, meaning is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost doing that with Jesus? Are they experiencing that with Jesus? Or is there some way... That the Father Son and Holy Ghost are divided or in some way where only one one is responsible and the other two are not
1: I see what you mean okay I got you I got you so I would say first first question about regards to who died upon the cross I believe clearly it was Jesus it was not the Father it was the Son that was sent into this world Um, he was the one sent from the Father not the Holy Spirit was on the cross as well but in regards to at different times even like I pointed out in my opening about the trinity as distinct persons father son holy spirit all three actively involved in creation distinctly and yet at the same time the bible says god alone did it so again i would say the same thing here when there's different places in scripture where the father's called lord or jesus is called lord or even the holy spirit's called lord they are all one in unity in identity and nature but they have different functions at different times.
2: Okay, Um, how many persons were in Christ or within Christ?
1: How many persons?
2: Yes, because, you know, Jesus says in John 14, 9 through 11, um, the father that dwells within me, he is doing the works. Um, I think it's John 334 says he was filled with the Holy Ghost without measure. The spirit is not given by measure unto him. Um, it seems like the Holy Ghost is in him, the Father is in him. How many persons are in Christ?
1: Well, I think in a way, like, you know, um, I don't know of any direct reference where it talks about directly the Holy Spirit, like, as you said, but I would have no objection to that because we also know the Holy Spirit um, anointed him and empowered him. Uh, we go back to his temptation and things like that. But here, I'm just reading the screen on my screen here, John fourteen nine, as you pointed out, or fourteen ten. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me, and the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abided me, does his works, but believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me, otherwise believe because of the works themselves. So I believe here, just how Jesus says, this is something of a supernatural thing, that the, that the Father was in Jesus, and Jesus in the Father, just like we read in John 14 going on, just a few passages later, He says in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will come to him and we, we, notice we, we will come to him and make our abode with him. So I have no problem with that now in regards to the number. I guess Father and the Holy Spirit would be the only ones who would be in Jesus in that kind of context. I have no problem with that.
2: Yeah, what if that limit God? Because I know we use the word persons, but I think it's a human terminology. I think that we could see Christ and say he's a person, but when we're talking about the eternal spirit, omnipresent of God that exists everywhere at the same time, I think that limits God. Um, don't you think persons is a is human terminology that we should probably get rid of?
1: Well, I mean, in every generation, um we use words, you know, different words to explain what we believe, whether it be theology or so, you know, soteriology, eschatology, whatever it may be. Back in the early day when I think the word persons was first coming up back in the second and third century, it was used as a distinction from some other groups, which I, no offense to you, but was coming against heresy, I believe, of oneness, modalism. And early on with the different Church Fathers, they were trying to make it very clear, look, when we talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, Holy Spirit. We believe they are distinct from one another, but yet all are one of the same essence or nature as God. So I don't have any problem with the word persons. It's a way that we understand there many things today. Um, when we try to limit God, I don't believe this limits God at all. I believe however God does what God does, it's something beyond my comprehension. Last comment, what I try to do, whether someone agrees with it or not, i try to agree with the scripture for what it says whether or not i directly understand it sometimes sometimes there's things in scripture i read i don't fully grasp but i also sometimes don't want to deny it
2: okay um how many fathers does jesus have i know you answered this before in other debates but just wanted to ask the question for this one Uh, how many fathers does jesus have i know in luke 135 says the holy ghost will overshadow you therefore that holy thing that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. He's called the Son of God because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and caused a conception. How many fathers says, does Jesus?
1: Yeah, it actually says here the angel answered, said the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and 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 it says and the power of the Most High. Well, I actually believe this point pointing both to the Father and the Son here in regards to Jesus coming into this world, his birth. So we see the Holy Spirit will come upon you. We see that, and the power of the Most High. I believe that's pointing to the father so I believe both would be involved in his quote-unquote his becoming you know like a child but we only see one place ever or we only see one thing ever indicated in Scripture at all that Jesus has one father which is God the father
2: okay and um, let's see here Uh, you know the Bible says that we are born of incorruptible seed we're born of the Word of God do you believe that the Word of God is our father
1: is that are you thinking of first John three? Is that where you're coming from?
2: No, I think it's First Peter. Uh I, th- I think it's First Peter two twenty-three. I'm doing it by memory. I don't I don't have my notes okay. right here. I'm
1: just trying to type it as well as you say it here. So 1 Peter 223. No, that is not it. Let's let's go. I think you're maybe chapter one. You're chapter one, sorry.
2: Yeah, one twenty-three, 23 probably. probably.
1: Yeah, let me just get there and I'll read out loud so you can ask your question better here. So here it says for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring
2: word of God. So, can you ask a question again? Yeah. So, so since we are born of the word of God, you know anybody is born of God. We are there. We are God's sons. So, is the word of God our father?
1: No, no. And, and I th- actually I understand your question. Okay, I appreciate that. So, just scrolling back a little bit. In verse 3 Peter writes blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled yada 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 so born again um, I believe is a supernatural work when one puts their complete trust in Jesus Christ I think we would have some agreement here for sure and when that person gives their life and commits and believes in jesus christ lord and savior the one that was sent died upon the crossroads again now they become born again inwardly and this is a supernatural work of god i wouldn't i would never in any any kind of context ever think the seed of itself would be our father i don't i don't think that would be proper exegesis there
2: well you know the bible says that we are born of god it says we're born of the spirit and here it says we're born of the word of god i know we don't have to be fathers so i would just say isn't that isn't that the, uh, in, in your view, the whole Trinity in, in some sense being the father or the one that causes people to be born again?
1: I, You know, can you say that one more time, please, that last part, the question?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just like, uh, since God is our father, like I say God okay. is our father, you would say okay. that too. Um, so if, if the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are all involved in that act of causing someone to be born again— or born of the spirit john 3 8. um wouldn't that make god our father
1: no because when we're talking about when the when the bible teaches about what it means to be born again this is a supernatural work of god in general like uh, for example john 1 12 says uh, as many as received him meaning jesus they were given the right to become children of god so what causes us to become children of god because we believe in jesus then god gives us this new birth and i believe you know as you obviously alluded to earlier you know i'm not a calvinist but i believe that the father's involved john 6 44 i believe jesus is involved john 12:32, and i also believe the holy spirit's involved john 16 verses 8 through 11. i believe all three are involved bringing us to believe and at some point when we believe we then become Born again,
2: okay, all right. So, um, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or it's in Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11. I know you know that verse where it talks about the spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead, and then He equates the spirit with Christ, and then it says the spirit of the Father. Um, sorry, I'm cold out here where I'm at, I'm, it's when I'm freezing, so if you guys see me grinding my teeth, <laughs> that's why. Um, and um, yeah, because
1: I knew I wasn't you know, that intimidated, I knew it wasn't that, so. <laughs>
2: yeah so let me go to that verse real quick yeah so it's yeah i can read for you so
1: romans 8 9 through 11 i'll read it for you. however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god dwells in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him if christ is in you though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness verse 11 but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you?
2: Yes, yeah. So it seems like um, that, that it's equating the spirit. It says then the spirit of God. Then it says Christ is in you, and uh, the, to me this is a perfect oneness scripture because it shows these terms using uh, these these words or titles of God being used interchangeably. And um, we know the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the father, you know, and it says that all over the book of Acts and in the gospels. And then Jesus says in John two nineteen 19, that um, I will raise myself from the dead. He's talking about the temple of his body or I'll raise myself up. And so I was just trying to ask the question, if um, you don't find this interesting, if there was three persons here, how can three persons that are limited do all the acts of being, you know, regeneration and so on to millions and millions and millions of people. Why don't you just say God is a spirit and God does things because he's omnipresent instead of, you know, making it like a human person. But that that word person gotcha. is limited to humans.
1: I gotcha. It's actually interesting to me because um, you, you you believe this kind of helps your case as a oneness person. I believe the opposite. I believe this actually would again point to the Trinity because as you rightly said, John two nineteen through 21, Jesus claimed he would raise himself um, we see many scriptures says God raised Jesus from dead, Acts 2.32. Uh, we see the Father was yep. involved, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Here we see the Holy Spirit being involved with also raising Jesus as well. The one thing I would say is, yeah, it does have a little peculiar wording. I will agree with you in this one aspect for sure, when it talks about Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Him. There seems to be a, a little bit of a play on words here, but I don't believe this would be indicating uh, the oneness
0: perspective. I, again, believe this would be pointing to the Trinity all right okay. thank you guys so much for the cross sex very fun to hear you guys have a discussion have having the discussion uh definitely uh have my mind filled with a great great understanding there you guys did great appreciate you guys all right so we're going to transition to closing remarks and once again to be five minute closings um and once again audience as you guys are closing up make sure you get your questions in because we will be having a q a and remember that super chats get priority so Get those questions in. So, Robert, while Kelly is giving his closing remarks, man, make sure you go get a coat uh, so you can stay warm throughout okay, that 20 minute QA, man. All right. I was just going to ask you something right now. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, Kelly, you got it for five minutes.
1: Appreciate that. Right on. I'll start my clock. Appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for all who are listening. A lot of my presentation, I believe, even just in the opening of itself, gives a lot of credence and a lot of validity and proof to the, to the perspective that there is one god in unity who has been revealed through three distinct persons i pointed to the trinity in regards to creation i referenced akkad i referenced heist how these words clearly and unequivocally demonstrate unity for example galatians 3:28, romans 12 5 1st corinthians 12 uh, 12 and 20 just some examples in the old testament we see genesis 1 5 genesis 2:24. We see Ezekiel thirty-seven, seventeen, Ezra two, sixty-four. These words of, of these places of scripture, where the word "ekk"ot is used, clearly demonstrates unity. And that's why I said earlier, how many verses do we need for say this, to, just to have the teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? One, two, three, four. I've shared a plethora of scriptures from the Old Testament, Genesis one, twenty-six. Clearly, angels are not involved. Man was created in the image of God. Period. Even Genesis chapter five, verse one and two, clearly teaches that. We see different examples. The Lord rained fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. Even Jewish writings would describe this being the memrah, the word Lord. We didn't get into that, but in regards to John 1, the logos, right? I asked questions about who is the one who appeared, specifically say to Abraham in the Old Testament, Genesis 18. My friend here, Robert, stated Yahweh. Lord, I agree. Yet, the problem here that Robert struggled with is John 6:46 and other places where it says that no one has seen the Father. Yet we also see Jesus claim that he came down from heaven. John 6:38, John 6:62, 6, John 16:28, and John 75, showing he had pre-existence. Who is the one that Abraham saw? Jesus, I believe. Who is the one that spoke to Moses in Exodus 3? Jesus, I believe. Why? Because these are different examples of the pre-existence. Even what Robert alluded to, theophanies. Another thing that I wanted to point out too, and we're looking at different scriptures, it says that God alone is the very one who created all things. When I point to different scriptures, such as Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, clearly the Father speaks of the Son, meaning Jesus, alluding to Psalm 102, verses 24 through 27, that this is Jesus, again, pointing to his pre existence. There's no, it is 100% clear Colossians 1:16 and 17, John 1 3 hebrews 110 and other places where jesus is clearly involved even 1 corinthians 8 6 i also challenged robert on as well both the father and the son meaning jesus were involved once again pointing to the trinity as the holy spirit i pointed out the word alos clearly from greek scholars language the holy spirit is numerically one who is besides who is distinct from the father and the son the language is unequivocally clear we see in john 14 15 16 Twenty-nine different times Jesus makes reference to the Holy Spirit, distinct from Himself and the Father. In fact, he goes he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever he hears from the Son and the Father, He will speak. That's interesting. How does that work? Unless there's not a triunity of persons in reference to the One True God involved here, it just can't work. As we look at other scriptures here as well, Romans eight six talks about that the Holy Spirit He intercedes for us he himself intercedes for us there are countless examples that we see from the old testament and the new testament things that i pointed to scriptures from amos 4 isaiah 13 jeremiah 50 talking about there's two involved in genesis 19 24 isaiah 48 as we didn't get into but he talked about that there were people said this is a bad argument no i believe it's a strong argument when you look at isaiah 48 12 the i am first i am he this is the lord speaking And when you get down to verse 16 the same one who's speaking says there was not a time that I was not there and now the Lord God has sent me I didn't get to that question I ran out of time but the Lord God has sent me this only fits the New Testament perspective of Galatians 4 4 through 6 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 14 where he talks about that God sent his only begotten Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins this only fits within that paradigm that Jesus pre-existed, and remember what I opened up with. I close with. I asked Robert if Jesus pre-existed before His incarnation. Would it be a problem for him? I asked if the Holy Spirit was a distinct person numerically from the Father and Jesus. Would this be a problem for him? I asked if the Old Testament teaches there is a unity that's been revealed. Would this be a problem? I believe that I have proven all three all three things to be true. Therefore, I believe the Trinity is biblical, and the one's perspective is unbiblical.
0: Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kelly, for your closing statement. Appreciate it. All right, Robert, you are up for your five minute closing and I will start your time when you begin to speak.
2: All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for Kelly to um, have this opportunity and uh, Marlon. And um, so just quickly, just want to talk about the presupposition that I have this that God is absolutely one. If you talk to a Mormon and you look at their verses they use are the exact same verses that Kelly uses when it comes to God being more than one in some possible way in this passage. And I think you're supposed to harmonize Scripture with that greatest commandment in mind. Mark 12, 29 uh, through 32 and then Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's the greatest commandment of all. So if if you have any rule that is against that, then you're undermining what Jesus and what Moses taught. So the greatest commandment has to be our presupposition. Um, Jesus is the name of God in the New Testament, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The name Jesus is Yahweh saves or uh, Jehovah Savior or is salvation. So that's what it means. That's why you'll see everywhere in the book of Acts and in the epistles where anybody was baptized, it was always done in the name of Jesus uh, Christ. Ace to Onoma, that is the name it's the same name that's in Matthew 28, 19, and also at Acts 8, 16, and 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 13. There's many, many passages that show that Jesus is the name of God, the final revelation of God in the uh, New Testament. Jesus is not a part of God. I think that's the point I'm trying to push Kelly on. It's He's not a part of God, he's not a half of God, he's not one person of, of many gods, but he is the one true God incarnate. Titus 2, 13 says he is our great God and savior. Jesus Christ. First Timothy 3:16 says He's God manifest in the flesh. Revelations 1 verse 8 says he is the Almighty. Um, and the Holy Ghost is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Ghost is not a second person of God. Um, how can one, see if you use this terminology, person, how can a person be poured out? How can a person baptize people? A person limits God, the word person limits God to a location, like a human person limits God and I think we got to get rid of that because God is a spirit he's a holy Spirit he's not um, there's not two holy spirits or three holy spirits of God even though all three are holy according to the Trinity there's only one spirit of God there's one Lord when we go to heaven we're not going to see two or three Lords in heaven or three kings we're gonna see one God who has manifest himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ um, I think that's the most important point uh, you see in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Jesus is the Spirit manifested. The Spirit is speaking through Jesus constantly. And um, the words that I speak unto you, John six sixty three, they are Spirit and they are life. Jesus is the voice of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called the par- paracletos in uh, the Gospel of John. It's, Jesus is called the paraclete in 1 John. So um, I don't think there's a problem there. It actually, if you harmonize scripture with the oneness of God, then you're going to see the oneness of God everywhere. You're not going to see pluralities like Mormons do or a polytheist would. And um, I know he said, as my father has sent me, uh, so send I you, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 20. So uh, actually, I think it's John 22. John 22, I think it is. As my father has sent me, so send I you. Um, Those disciples did not exist with God in heaven. And just like the son did not exist with God in heaven um, prior to him being born. The Bible uses the word into the world over and over again about people being born. Um, I wish I had my scriptural reference, but I know it's in John chapter 16. It talks about when a woman gives birth to a man and he comes into the world. And I know Kelly really emphasizes on that word into the world or in that phrase into the world. And he thinks that it's something outside coming in. No, it's actually talking about giving birth read john 16 on that to prove my point and uh, i think we just got to realize that jesus is the all the fullness of the godhead bodily he's not a part of god or anything like that but he is the one true god revealed in the flesh
0: all right you're gonna leave that 48 seconds hanging there rob yes <laughs> all right all right thank you so much for an engaging and very fruitful debate uh, we have gotten many compliments so far about you guys's demeanor and behavior in this debate um and so it's definitely appreciated not only by myself but the audience as well because it's very helpful for them to keep uh keep pace with you guys if you guys are being clear and not talking over each other. So it's appreciated. So now we are going to transition to our Q&A. We have a bunch of questions here. This will be a 20 minute Q&A. Uh, the rules for Q&A is that both of you will get one minute each to interact with the question. Uh, the interacting with each other has now discontinued. So you guys are no longer allowed to interact with each other, but now you guys are interacting with just the questions, all right? No matter if it's for Kelly or Rob, both of you get a chance to interact with the question for one minute, all right? So we are going to start our question with some super chats because we do have some here and we have uh run master thank you so much for the support run master it says his question is in revelations chapter 1 verse 18 jesus is the first and the last please explain isaiah 44 chapter 44 verse 6 for yahweh and his redeemer is the first and the last uh i guess kelly you want to tackle this one first
1: yeah, let me just um, make sure I can see this on the screen here. I'm just going to go to my YouTube here real quick. Uh, Revelation 118, Jesus is the first and last. Please explain Isaiah 44, 6 for Yahweh and His Redeemer, the first and last. So this is kind of what I talked about before. Um, different examples of how the first and the last is revealed in the book of Isaiah 41, 4, 43, 10, 6. Uh, Isaiah 48, verse 12 and 13. Different examples. The one who is revealed, who is the first and the last in Isaiah is sent by the Lord God a little bit later. And as I talked about before, I believe this is in context pointing about the Father, Son, and the Son, according to first John chapter four, verses nineteen through fourteen. So when we're looking at Revelation one eighteen, um, Revelation twenty two, twelve and thirteen, Revelation two eight, where Jesus called the first, the last, how this correlates with Isaiah forty four six this again points to i believe him being in fact identified as yahweh as he clearly claimed in the gospels this would not go against the trinity i believe this actually is strength for the trinity
2: all right robert yeah there's only one almighty Uh, you can't have more than one almighty so it's perfect all right all right and we
0: have a question from mr steve christie thank you steve for the for the super chat, appreciate the support. Uh, this question for you, Robert. How do you address Jesus saying He came to do the Father's will, but not His own will, if Godhead is oneness?
2: Yeah, I I argue that that is because God became a man, so the Son is limited to the incarnation, and so He's not. He does have a human will, but He also has a divine will. So I think it's um. Important to know that there's two wheels in Christ one. He struggles as a as a man and one divine will I would not say that his divine will is in opposition to the father's will because then that that just makes no sense Two divine wheels in opposition of each other if there's a trinity then they would have the same exact will There would be no struggle, but since he God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ uh, He does have a will that is distinct from the father's All right, uh, Kelly
1: yeah I think again this is an interesting question um, saying if he came to do the Father's will but not his own will, if God is oneness I get that because in John 638 along with the other scriptures of John 662 or 1628 or seventeen five I talked about but there's a very clear one Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not the Father, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I mean, you can't get any more clear to me, distinction of persons, and Jesus was sent from the Father. It was not the Father who came in the flesh. It was not the Father who died upon the cross. It was not the Father that was resurrected. It was Jesus Christ, the Son, that was sent. He's the one that came. He came to do the will of the Father.
0: Thank you. All right, all right. And here's another super chat. This question is for you again, Rob. From one of my moderators, Miss Slam R N. Let me. Uh, why is this thing? I can't stand what it does. That it doesn't want to show it away. All right, not Mario, Thank you so much for the support. Question for Robert. So, are we going to the Father when we die? Like Jesus did does Jesus lose his body in heaven
2: no I mean yes on the first question the second question no
0: all right uh, Kelly any thoughts I'm
1: just gonna read out loud again so I make sure I don't miss uh, misinterpret here so are we going to are we going to the father when we die like Jesus said does Jesus lose his body in heaven answer one that's interesting it's kind of a wording kind of interesting here so when we die I believe when we go to the heavenly realm I actually believe that we will actually see both the Father and the Son for sure how the Holy Spirit works Um, Revelation 321 Revelation 5 6 through 8 uh, and other passages uh, John sees both the Father and the Son And now, does Jesus lose his body in heaven? No, he has a glorified body. He's now been resurrected. He's the first to be born. uh, Not born, but like um, the firstborn from the dead. And so he has a glorified body. And remember, when he appeared to his disciples, he showed the scars on his hands, side of his wound. He even ate with them and had food with them in Luke 24. So he is glorified spiritually, but he also has this change forever, now this spiritual body
0: all right all right and we have another super chat here let's come from run master again does isaiah 63 verses 7-14 through 14 show the t- trinity with isaiah 43 11 for no savior besides yahweh uh kelly what are your thoughts
1: yeah you know this is a classic passage that a lot of people like to go to Generally, I like Isaiah 48 a little bit stronger, but this is still a great text because it talks about um, The Father talks about the angel Lord and talks about the Holy Spirit and it shows distinctions among the three Um, Being involved and it also talks about God as our Savior, right? And then when you look at Isaiah 43 specifically 11 uh, it Says I even I am the Lord besides me. There is no there's no Savior besides me so ultimately of course Yahweh is the Savior. No doubt about that. Um, When we look at from a New Testament perspective, we see over and over, it's Jesus Christ who is identified as our Savior in the New Testament, right? There's never a place that I could, could, at least that I'm aware of, that it says that the Father's the, the Savior or the Holy Spirit's the Savior in the New Testament. We always see it pointing to Jesus. But when we're looking at places like Isaiah 63, uh, in Isaiah 48, it demonstrates that there's three, at least, well, three who are appearing to be involved that I believe points to the Trinity. Thank you.
0: All right. Now, Robert, what are your thoughts? Isaiah
2: 63, 7 through 14. Uh, let me, it's really hard to read on my screen here. Let's see. Sorry about that. It shows the Trinity with Isaiah no seizure besides Yahweh. Does it show the Trinity? No.
0: All right. All right. So I think that's all. Many uh, words. (laughs) It's short (laughs) to the point, right? All right. So this question is for you, Robert, here. Thank you for the question. Who is Jesus speaking to in John 17, 4 through 5? Himself?
2: He's speaking to the one eternal God that he just mentioned in John 17, 3. If, if someone says he's speaking to himself, in some sense, uh, the Trinitarian would have to say the same thing because the father was dwelling and living in him to see him is to see the one that sent him. Um, and so, you know, the father that dwells within me, he does the work. So the Trinitarian has the same problem. I know Jehovah's Witnesses will use this passage against both of us. But it's interesting that the Trinitarian would ask that question because the father is dwelling and living in Jesus. So in some sense, um, playing to himself i would say no it's the humanity praying to the deity to the one eternal god just like as we would pray to god even though the holy spirit dwells in us all right kelly
1: yeah you know this is a great passage once again i believe demonstrating why the oneness perspective is very weak very um, unbalanced when you look at scripture because just the scriptures themselves here demonstrate that jesus as the son is distinct from the Father notice a lot of times not just with Robert here but in other discussions if you see one these debates the language they always try to say is well, this is talking about his flesh or him being a human but this is not at all what Jesus is talking about here this is clearly he says uh, verse 2 even as you gave him authority over all flesh to all whom you've given him that he may give eternal life this is eternal life that may know you the only true God if that in the context what was said earlier in the question and answer time friend this would exclude you from being god which of course robert would not want to go that route but he did openly say that about john twenty which i was surprised however you keep reading i've glorified you on earth i have glorified you on earth accomplished the work which you have given me to do now father glorify me together with yourself the glory i had with you before the world was i mean it just doesn't get any plainer than what the text says it's very clear that jesus is not praying to himself or talking to himself he's talking to someone distinct from himself
0: all right and here's another super chat from tito thank you for the support tito appreciate it this question is for robert how do you explain john chapter one verse one was with god and was god
2: easy uh, my presupposition is god is absolutely one so in the beginning was the word the word was with the one god and was the one god If you can't put the word one in front of that verse, then you are obviously thinking that God can obviously be more than one. As simple as that. My presupposition is God is one. All right. Kelly, any thoughts?
1: Well, when you're looking at the text there of John 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Right. It's, to me, it's very clear that as you keep on reading these verses, He was in the beginning with God. Who's that? That's the Word, right? Verse 3, all things came into being through Him. This is talking about creation now. Everything that's coming into existence came in through the Word. Then you keep reading, verse 9, as it continues on, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through Him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. This is all pointing to the word as being an actual distinct personage. And then we see in verse 14, then we get this identification. Who is this word that John's talking about? Who is this logos? The word became flesh, dwelt among us, we saw his glory glory of who the only begotten from who the father so once again this demonstrates not only Jesus God but he's also a distinct personage from the father
0: all right all right and Kelly I think this question is for you here it does he didn't put a name but I believe this question for you Kelly uh, in Ephesians 4 3 the word unity in Greek is employed for believers unity with the spirit in contrast, in Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, haste is used for God. Why is henotes not used? Let
1: me just read this here. Um, sorry, let me just get updated here. Sorry. Um, Ephesians 4, 3, the word unity, henotes, is in the Greek employed for believers, unity with the Spirit, in contrast to Ephesians 4, where the heist is used for God. Why is I can't explain why. Um, I didn't write it. Couldn't give you a direct answer on that. However, uh, when looking at the context here, it talks about with all humility, verse two, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance, love for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse four: There is one body, one spirit, um, just as you were called into one hope, one Lord, one faith. There's a lot of this, you know, showing distinctions. Of what we've been called in, one God and Father who's over all and through all and in all. So, the reason for why Paul chose to write that word um, distinctly, I cannot give you a direct answer. I don't know how this would anyway come against my perspective if this person is saying it for that reason. I just don't have an answer for that directly.
2: All right, Robert? Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like Robert,
0: you're a cool guy Robert giving them direct answers man, he's a, let's give it straight up alright, alright, going to the next question here we have uh, I think we already dealt with that one let me see here's a question for you, oh, hold on uh, let me find it All right, here's a question for you, Rob. Do you honor the Son as the Father?
2: Yes, absolutely, because I know that the Son is God incarnate. All right. In Him dwells all the fullness of God, head bodily. All right. Any thoughts, Kelly?
1: You know, that's interesting. It's coming from John 5, I believe, where... Jesus talks about um, in verse 23 of John 5 he says that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It's interesting language of John 5 because verses 18 on it says the Jews wanted to kill Jesus for him making himself equal with God by calling God his own Father which is something that they were not common of doing. And then when you read verses 19 through 23, something unique happens. Jesus identifies himself from the Father seven times as the Son, unique from the Father. So once again, it shows distinction of persons, but then Jesus says, all are to honor the Son, meaning Jesus, even as you honor the Father. So it shows once again equality amongst the two, yet Jesus was sent from the Father, so he shows his role as being the Son sent under the Father. Thank you
0: all right and uh kelly this is a question for you this is coming from swenson bailey swenson has actually been on the gospel troop before hope all is well with your Swinson. question you kept saying that no man has seen the father daniel sees the ancient of days if jesus words mean what you're saying how is that possible
1: excellent question excellent question same thing would apply to John, right in the book of Revelation, where I, I talked about before that I have no qualms about. When we're looking at John six forty six, remember the context here. He's talking to the people, he's talking to the Jews, and he said that no one has seen the Father except the Son. When we see in the, the vision, it's a vision in the heavenly realm in Daniel chapter seven. Uh, Both the Father being the Ancient Days and the Son of Man, I believe, pointing to Jesus' pre-existence, mind you. So again, showing distinctions. And the same thing would apply in the book of Revelation, where John sees, I believe he says, he sees the Father sitting on his throne, and Jesus sitting on his throne in Revelation 3.21. What's the difference? No one has ever seen the Father in this world. That's the point. So all these places in the Old Testament where it says no one has seen God, it's talking about here in this world, this earth. No one has ever seen the Father, but we have a plethora of examples where people saw God in the Old Testament, but it wasn't the Father. I believe it points to the pre-incarnate Jesus. Thank you. All
2: right.
0: Any thoughts, Robert?
2: Yeah, well, um, I think it's Revelation chapter 2. I keep saying 2. I think it is where Jesus is seen as the Ancient of Days. His eyes are a flame of fire. His hair white as wool. So I believe Jesus is both, he fulfills both roles as the son of man and the ancient of days.
0: All right, all right. All right, we have we have about two minutes here. So I think we'll get one more question in between you two. So let's see what we've got here. All right, this question's for you, Rob. Do you think the three persons in the Trinity are limited, embodied persons like a human being?
2: Do you think the three persons of the Trinity are limited embodied person like a human being? Uh, yeah, of course they are. I think that if you're using the term, these unbiblical terms, unbiblical terms, then of course you're going to have limitations. And the just, just just imagine, three people get full of the Holy Ghost. How is that three Holy Spirits? Did the Trinity, I mean, or a one person of the Trinity, or the third person of the Trinity, um, split into three because he's only limited to persons? Um, I think that's a problem when you think of God in that way. I think, you know, if we're going to talk about God, we're talking about the eternal spirit who's omnipresent. Uh, Psalm 139 says, where can we go from your spirit? If I take the wings of the morning, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. God is everywhere at the same time. Or even I think it's uh, Solomon says, even the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. um, About referring to God. So God's an invisible, eternal spirit. He's, you know, there's no place you can run away from God. When we're talking about God filling someone with His Spirit. God does not need to be a person and jump inside that person to change them. He's a spiritual being. So I think the term "persons" limits God too much, and it makes a uh, if God is uh, if one one third of a or if the Trinity, if the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity, then that person can only fill one person at a time, and not really uh, do much if you're using that terminology.
0: All right. Uh, Kelly, any thoughts?
2: Hmm. It's
1: interesting because the very same logic which Robert would have used would then say that the Father's limited because it talks about the Father dwelling in us as well, uh, according to what Jesus taught, according to the Gospel of John. So that must mean the Father must be limited too. Now, I don't believe this limits in all. When we look at how the, the, the roles, if you will, of the Father, how he sends the Son into this world to take on flesh, becomes a man. We see this in Philippians 2, John 1. Um, we see how Jesus humbled himself he humbled himself he went to the cross he died for us he was resurrected and glorified he was limited for a time by willful submission we would see but now being glorified again there is no limitations never do we see the Holy Spirit being limited at all and in fact even when Jesus was here there are times where he said if I wanted to he says me Jesus if I want I could call down legions of angels There was times where he could do, he had the authority, but he by choice chose not to because his mission was to come as a suffering servant, as we read from Isaiah 53 and other places, to willfully give his life for our sins, to die, to be resurrected, for all who call upon him have the gift of eternal life. Amen.
0: All right, all right. We have one more super chat here, guys. And this would be the last question for sure. And this question is for Robert. Uh, John chapter 8 verse 17 says, uh, Jesus says, two testimonies is required, him and the father testify by Jesus. Please explain.
2: Yeah. So it says, is it not written in your law? The testimony of two men are true. I am one that bears witness of myself and the father that sent me, he bears witness of me. And so obviously if you just read those two passages, you say, oh, two men, okay, two persons, but it doesn't say two persons. Uh, persons are, are, are putting limits on God, and you're assuming that God is a person like a human is a person. And actually, if you push the, the, the Greek is Anthropos in the Greek for two men, are you saying the Father and the Son are two men? You're not going to say that, but there's two witnesses. The first witness is Jesus himself talking about himself, and the second witness is the testimony in Scripture about the Messiah's arrival. That's God speaking. So, yes, that's it. There's not two men, and there's not two persons, but one God and the Messiah
0: all right and kelly what you got yeah i mean
1: this is just i mean this is completely 100 percent destroying one this type of theology if you just go back to verse 13 it says the pharisee said to him you're testifying about yourself your testimony is not true he's jesus said even if my even if i did testify myself my testimony is true i know where i came from and where i'm going but you do not know where i came from where i'm going you judge according to flesh i do not judge anyone but if i do judge my judgment is true For I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now notice what they say. They were saying, where is your Father? Remember, if Jesus was supposed to be the Father, he said, hey, dudes, you're looking at him. He said, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know the Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Then he goes on to say in verse 21, I go away and you seek to kill me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He says, I am from above and you're from below. Again, the language here is 100% clear. The Father and the Son are distinct persons and the testimony is clear of what Jesus was saying, that he was not alone in it. He and the Father were both witnesses of what he was teaching. Thank you.
0: All right, guys, thank you for a fantastic debate, one of the more polite debates we have had on the gospel truth. And definitely, it's always appreciated when we have these type of debates where both of you are able to share your thoughts and your concerns in an equal manner. And I do appreciate you guys for your decorum and your respect you have for each other. Always appreciate it. So, that said, I'm going to let you guys go. We had a fantastic debate. The audience also feel you guys treated each other with respect and honor. And lastly, um, do you guys have any closing words before I let you guys go?
1: Go ahead, Robert.
2: Okay. I was going to say, I would say, hey, uh, Kelly, if you would like to debate on just the Gospel of John and maybe the epistles of John on the Trinity or oneness, I would love to do that. I was just going to ask that. I don't know if you're interested in that or not, but. Just on those books alone. Talk about that. that yeah. But uh, thank fine, you for the opportunity, um, Marlon and Kelly. Um, hey. I'm glad I got to uh, challenge myself uh, theologically. And I think it's a good opportunity to have us all search the scriptures more and to learn the Bible. Um, well, the world is not learning the Bible. You know, you can just tell by what's going on. They say 84% of Christians don't read their Bible except on Sundays. And I think uh, any any kind of debate I've learned the most theologically through debate and i love debates i study everything um i've learned the most through debates and i wish uh there would be a lot more of these platforms because i learned so much from it from both sides
0: and we got two more super chats that came in i don't know if you guys feel like tackling them um i know you guys agree to 20 minute q a it's
2: up to you guys though. So. it's okay with me
1: well let me first just give my thoughts what was just being said there and if we, if we i don't have a problem doing that yeah, no, thank you, Robert, for reaching out to Marlon, um, to wanting to have this debate. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking with you. Of course, we have differences of views, but I really enjoyed talking with you. I, I woke up on the good side of the bed day. I want to make sure that I had a nice shower and I was ready to go and nice so that the crowd would like me and that you bring me back on again, Marlon. You know, so I did everything that I could so that you could bring me <laughs> back on. So, But in all seriousness, no, thank you, Robert, for a good debate. Thank you for the demeanor. I hope that you also enjoyed was challenged by some things i said as well because that's what we all want to get into is what does the bible teach sometimes our traditions will be challenged um and it like at the end of the day it's like i said earlier i'll say it again sometimes some things i don't always understand in scripture but i don't want to deny what the scripture clearly teaches right so i appreciate that
0: all right appreciate you guys too we'll tackle these questions real quick and we have uh slam Thank you so much for the super chat. appreciate the support. Who is going to judge all humans at the judgment throne according to scripture? Robert, what do you think?
2: Yeah, let me get my notes up for that. Let's see if I have it real quick. It's under the word judge. Okay. So it says, uh, Acts seventeen thirty one. 31, uh, God has appointed a man that he will judge the world through jesus christ uh john 12 47 through 49 it says the words that i speak uh, will judge you and uh, john 5 22 says for the father judges no man but has committed all judgment unto the son so the son is going to be the judge uh, in the in the final day romans 2 16 says god shall judge the secrets of men by jesus christ and so that's who's the final judge is going to be jesus christ and his word all right kelly
1: yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, there, there actually would be some agreement, of course, to what was just shared because we know scripture does teach that Jesus Christ will be judging all judgments given, as he pointed to John five twenty-two. We also know that what's called the um, the the, the Ramah seat, uh Second Corinthians five ten talks about that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be judged according to our deeds, good and bad. We also know that Scripture says that God is the judge of living and dead, Acts ten forty two. Second um, Timothy chapter 4 talks about that uh, God is the one uh, both and Jesus are involved with judgment. So again, I think this again points to both the Father and the Son. Now no direct reference that I'm aware of um, speaks directly of the Holy Spirit, but I do believe there's plenty of scripture talks about both the Father and the Son being involved in this again showing distinction of person. that's the best I got for that answer.
0: All right, and then we our final one here is let come from Tito again. Thank you again, Tito, for the support. Appreciate it. Questions. Can a can a person receive salvation if they don't believe in the eternal son, Jesus Christ? Kelly?
1: Yeah, I think that was pointing to me, of course, directly, of course, right? Um, it's interesting, like you, you talked about this earlier, Robert, about Walter Martin, who is a person that I've learned a lot over the years. I have a lot of respect for him, known as the original Bible. And I said, you like talked about. He is somebody who has um, not come to the conclusion of what's called the eternal Sonship or Christ being the eternal Son. And I respect him. I don't agree with him. Um, there are actually, be quite surprising, there are different Trinitarians out there that don't always agree with certain perspectives. I'm sure the same thing could be even applied to yourself with certain Unitarians for sure as well. This is where it comes back to, we want to look at what Scripture teaches. So they answer the question the person's asking, there is no verse that says, if you do not believe that Jesus is the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. What we do see is scripture teaching that you do believe he is the Son, that he is sent, that he was the one that died upon the cross and rose again, sent from the Father, and he is the only way for salvation to bring us back to the Father. Jesus says in John 14:6 that no man can come to the Father but by me So, what matters first and foremost is we come to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I would I would also have one quick note that if someone doesn't believe that Jesus is the eternally Son, I would just say that they are in error. But I think if someone just doesn't have that complete conclusion, it would not exclude them. I don't believe. All right,
2: Rob. Well, I do believe the Son is eternal, but the incarnation, the manifestation, is not eternal. Um, the Son was born in Bethlehem. He was predicted in the Old Testament. So all the passages in the Old Testament talk about the son. It's always future. Um, Hebrews 1 5 says he shall I shall be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. So it's future tense. And um, I just think that uh, unless you believe that Jesus is God, um, you know, according to Jesus, you will die in your sins. So I think we have to um, approve of his or not approve, but uh, accept his divinity and his humanity
0: all right all right guys thank you once again for joining me on this episode and you guys are the last episode uh of the 2023 year year 2023 and we are going to go into the new year with a bang and i'm sure that you guys have a lot going on in this coming year and i look forward to seeing what you guys do uh this One coming 2024 go, marlon what you got so Kevin? here's
1: cool. So we go out, Robert, with a bang with me and you. I hope this is a good debate that people watch and share. And then who's your first one in the new year?
0: Anthony uh, Rogers. Man, so back-to-back back big, big ones. Yeah, it's going to be fire, gonna man. Be it's going to be great. It's going to be a great way so, to bring in the new that? year, man. Yes, yes, yes. So once again, thank you, guys. You guys go ahead and enjoy the rest of your evening. And... Keep them DMs, notifications, bell on, because you never know. You know how I get down, man. I just pop in, you know, all of a sudden. So go ahead. Make sure you keep that DMs lit up, man. I may jump in there once in a while, all right? Lord bless. God bless. Take care. Take care. All right, God bless. All right, guys. Another great debate in the books. Appreciate you guys for joining me on this episode of Gospel Truth. Uh, Another great one right another great one and right now we're at 97 likes perhaps there's someone in the live chat that has yet to like the the debate and we can get this debate up to 100 before i end this stream is that possible guys only three more likes let's get it up to 100 and we'll shut this stream down but nonetheless i appreciate you guys i have a whole bunch of comments here uh just saying you know how much they appreciate the debate here uh, this coming from God is walking the water. More debates of this caliber is needed. I agree. Uh, we have another one here. What a great debate from Ramatut! Appreciate it. Uh, we have a couple more comments here. Uh, shout out to the Warriors in Christ, Marlon and Kelly. Marlon is a great host. Appreciate the comments, appreciate the love, appreciate you joining and supporting the ministry I uh, appreciate you definitely uh you guys have been great once again this is the last show of the of the year can you believe it um and what can I say right what can we say about this year we have had crazy stuff going on this year uh we had all kind of ups and downs but God is good still right God is still good God is on the throne and there is no reason for us to uh have too many concerns as it concerns our God, right? The God of the scriptures um is who we need to be looking at in 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 the in this world where there's turmoil and strife, right? We shall always be looking to Christ as our peace, our strong tower, as our God. And we are so thankful for what he has done uh with the gospel truth. Um, and uh we shall always be looking to him, right? Always be looking to him. Um i'm excited and yeah happy new year's to you guys as well uh hope you guys are able to enjoy the new year and not be too bogged down man uh it's so much stuff going on man it's so much stuff going on in this world uh, all around this world and uh i'm just praying that we're all able to keep our heads on straight uh we need to stay in prayer guys stay in prayer stay in the scriptures uh, and make sure that you guys uh Keep your hands up. Uh, this is a funny comment from Steve. Crazy stuff this year. William Arvish debate. <laughs> uh, love Arvish, man. I, will, I love Arvich, man. He, that's a, he's a cool cat, man. Obviously, I disagree with his position, man. But Arvich, cool, man. He's a cool dude. He a cool dude. What's we'll brother Marlin? What's we'll say? Brother Marlin? when will we see you debate? Oh, I'm going to debate this year, man. I'm jumping into the ring this year, guys. I don't jump into the ring a lot, you know. Um, I should jump in more often. You'll probably see me more likely to have more of, like, an open discussion or something like that. But as far as formal debates, I don't do a lot of those. And I think I need to start shaping up my formal debates. So be looking forward to uh for me to be jumping on right jumping on to the debate scene so thank you uh hopefully i'll be jumping on soon all right uh very good informative debate yeah i agree man and we're looking forward to more of these informative these great debates right informative debates that are helping people sift through the theology right um uh and yeah yeah So that's it, man. I'm going to get out of here. This has been a great show, a great year. And once again, I pray that you guys will continue to support the ministry um, through just viewing, being a part of the viewership. Right. And if you have yet to do so, make sure you know to subscribe to the Gospel Truth because the Gospel Truth is doing great things. And we look forward to do great, more great things this coming year by the grace of God. So make sure you continue to subscribe and support the ministry. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe if you have yet to do so on The Gospel Truth, all right? That said, I'm gonna get out of here. I pray that you guys will have a blessing. Enjoy the rest of the evening. And I look forward to seeing you next episode on The Gospel Truth, all right? Take care. God bless.